Welcome to episode 31 of the Hike or Die Outdoor Adventure podcast. I'm here with good friend Craig. How you doing, mate? Hey, good, Tom. Craig, what is the most unusual reason that you've ever had to go on a hike? Unusual reason? Don't know, mate. Yeah, don't know. That's a hard one. It is a hard one. Well, for our guest today, Paul Barrack, it was pretty simple. It was ninjas. And you're going to learn a lot more about that when he tells us all about his Shikoku pilgrimage later on. But first, some cool music, please, my friend. Thank you, as always, to our regular podcast sponsors for their support. Topo Maps Plus, a phone application that allows you to view topographical maps and track your location even without cell phone coverage. Go deeper into the backcountry. Rios Floating Polarized Sunglasses with 100% UV protection for the love of water. Bluey Merino, Australian superfine merino wool base mid top layer garments. Where our story ends, yours is just beginning. Caribbean, one of Australia's leading backpack, travel, and outdoor brands. They supply us with dry bags, waterproof day packs, and expedition bags. Supporting our sponsors allows us to continue to produce this podcast. So please jump online and check out what they have to offer. We would like to begin by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land from which we broadcast today and pay our respects to their elders past and present. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander listeners. Craig, Happy New Year, mate. How are you? Yeah, that's it. Happy New Year. I reckon it's going to be a good one. Well, yeah, no. I mean, um, I was having this conversation. Well, I think we had this conversation in our last podcast, so I won't go over it again. But for a lot of us, um, last year was pretty good in a lot of ways. I, I guess we just made it good. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I think um, a lot of people wanted to forget 2020 as well. I think a lot of people had some tough times. Yeah, so, you got to be careful what you wish for, though. Yeah, I guess. I wouldn't say we're out of the woods yet. That's right. That's right. But uh, fingers crossed. Hopefully into the woods a lot, if you yeah, get my drift. That'll be good. Hey, uh, what have you been up to? Oh, mate, I um, haven't been doing too much outdoors. I did get away to the Gold Coast with um, Elliot for for a night, uh, oh, just yeah. him and me. We went to the the Natural Bridge and the Perling Brook Falls just oh, cool. after all that rain we had, eh? It was, oh, that must have been awesome. Yeah. I've never actually been there, ever. Have you? Uh, no, yeah, I'm not a big fan of, I mean, I'm not a big fan of those super... Um, popular stuff. Popular, yeah. They're called the Natural Arch, but it's a natural bridge, they call it, actually. And yep. um, yeah, it is pretty popular. Which is uh, arch-shaped. I mean, <laughs> it was close, something like that. Damn close. I think <laughs> they probably could have named it better yeah. if you were around. Yeah. No, it's a pretty good spot, though, man. It's 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 one. Of, it's a pretty amazing little spot and, you know, glowworms in the cave and all that sort of stuff. Mm. Yeah, I've, I've read all about it, seen some fantastic photographs. Yeah. Uh, I should get down there just to tick it off, just to say I've seen it. No, Did you spend one. a night or two down there? Yeah, we stayed in the swag, just me and the boy, which was great. And um, just the one night, but we went down to the waterfalls in the morning and 
he actually got really scared. Um, all the loud noises and stuff. Oh, what of the what was it quite violent? It was really moving. Eh? I've never seen it like that. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Had to walk through a bit of water just to get to the the usual lookouts and stuff. And, oh, um, right. Yeah, it was. I put the drone up and got some footage over oh, the gee, top of to, the falls. You'll have to show. I wish you had shown me that before. Um, you show me that later if you got yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, cool. That'd be good. Um, cool. Yeah, we uh, we took. Um, a week and went up to a, a beachside town, a uh, very quiet one, and uh, up north. And yeah, basically just cruised around, did a lot of swimming in the ocean, did a bit of exploring. It's a place that's very uh, famous for turtles nesting uh, on the beaches. And last time we were up there, we actually walked down the beach and by pure chance there was a female turtle up there laying laying her eggs which is awesome. quite rare um during the day from what i hear yeah so, right. yeah didn't see anything like that this year but um you know it's still good to get away yeah so they do lots of tours and stuff i've i lived in harvey bay for so long and never oh, got that's right i forgot about that never got to do it even though it's um not yeah. too far so it's just up north of bundy or something isn't it uh, so yeah, um, well, east really, because Bundy's inland. And then you go out to Bagara? Correct, yeah. And it, what do they call it? Monsrepo? Uh, Mon, Monrepos? Mon Monrepo or Monrepos. Monrepos, yeah, yeah, something like that. And that's where the turtles actually come in. Yeah, exactly, like right on the beach there. And, uh, that's, like I said, we, we went to the Monrepo, uh, information centre last year and, sorry, year before last, technically. Yeah. And... We said, oh, well, let's, instead of walking back the other way, we'll, we'll hike back along the beach, which is a beautiful um, hike. And as soon as we hit the beach and walked 100 metres, there was a turtle there. During the day? Yeah, yeah, during the day. Isn't, isn't the main attraction to sort of go out, they go at you night? Go, you go at about 6pm or 7pm oh, and they actually meet, uh, and you go with a ranger. With You're torches. not allowed on the beach after 5pm for that very reason. Oh, I see. Yeah, some somewhere around that five PM or something. It's actually the beach is closed every night, not like a normal beach. Um, so I, you can only go with a ranger, uh, so that they keep an adequate distance and um, there's not too many torches or interference and stuff like that. Yeah, right. And you see them digging the holes and flicking <laughs> yeah. the sand out, and apparently, yeah, yeah, really, a, quite an amazing animal. The the way they migrate back to the the very same beaches and all of that sort of spooky stuff that quite a lot of animals do. I'd love to see all those little tiny ones run down the beach. Yeah, right? that that actually I would I would like to see that. I think my kids would lose their mind <laughs> when, when they go flapping down the beach from that hole. It's pretty cool. For sure. Um, we did a went up um, Mount Gun Gun again recently. I oh, think yeah. I already told you that maybe. No. Um, yeah, nothing, I was going to say nothing special, but it is, it is a special place. It's really Very cool. Special. Um, really unique, uh, place, uh, not too far from me. Um, really rich in, uh, indigenous history and, and story. Um, it's just a fantastic place to be. And so, yeah, took the kids up to the top of that and everyone had a good time. I'll tell you the funniest thing that's happened recently is, uh, my boys watch a lot of uh, TV with me. When I say TV, I mean it's usually what I'm watching on YouTube. And usually what I'm watching on YouTube is um, is outdoor sort of uh, 
mm-hmm. channels and stuff like that. So we, we watched a few um, um, survival type scenarios where guys take off to a beach or something for um, a few days and they just take basics like maybe a knife or something and a water bottle. And, you know, obviously, um, you know, that captivate used to captivate me a lot. And obviously that captivates their young minds. And one, uh, my eldest boy said, oh, I want to do a, um, a solo challenge <clears throat> where I go um, into the backyard and basically so you want to go in the backyard and basically have no contact with us, no food or anything and yeah. stay out there <laughs> until um, and not come back until the next day. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, basically, I said, so I said, well, okay, well, let's make up a scenario. I think you should be a hiker who's lost and then whatever you've got with you, because he was going to go in um, shorts and a T-shirt and that's it. And I said... All due respect, <laughs> you're going to get so, you're going to get mauled by mosquitoes. And uh, hang on, let me get this straight. So you're you're watching YouTube on the couch. He's probably wearing shorts and t-shirt. Then he and, and he uh, he's oh no, the out. guy on the t the guy on the show is just wearing shorts and a t-shirt. Oh, and he's okay. like, oh yeah, I want to do it raw, like completely yeah. strip it back. I said that's great, but in our backyard, in the in the middle of summer, you're going to get mauled by mosquitoes and sand flies and stuff. You would, yeah. Um, so he he uh, he conceded and he said, okay, okay, so okay, so what you would pack in your in your backpack is what you can take. So you can have your um, he had a what do you call it a flint. Good, yeah. Um, ferro rod. Yeah. Uh, what else did he have? A oh, water bottle. Right. He had that one, the same one that you've got with the can on the bottom, yep, the sure. cup on the bottom. Um, he had a backpack which had a rain jacket and uh, a warm jumper and then his hat and then that was basically it. And he said, oh, I'll be right. So <laughs> off he goes in the backyard. Yeah, now, cool. the timing of it, unfortunately for him, was uh, was it was on that – that Saturday about two weekends ago where it bucketed down the biggest storm. No, I'm not kidding. So obviously you had it, a tent, did he, or what? No, no, he had nothing. No, he's <laughs> just sleeping out there. So he goes out there at exactly midday. And uh, I gave him a lesson in how to use my GoPro because he said, oh, I want to film it as well. So I gave him a few lessons, do this, don't do that. This makes horrible footage. This is good and all this sort of stuff. And he, and he got it all and he took a little, um, you know, those little Joby, you've got one up there, yeah. tripods. And uh, off, he, off he trots and, and I'm peeking through the windows and he's out there talking to the camera and stuff. And I thought, this is so cool. And then at around three o'clock in the Arvo, this mother of all storms rolls in. And by then he's trying to build this shelter out of um, dead palm tree leaves and sticks and and um, <laughs> it starts raining and he gets smashed by the rain. I, th- I thought he's going to be in any, any second. He ends up taking, um, he basically takes all his clothes off except for a pair of shorts and he's running around saturated doing his vlogging. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in the rain awesome and uh then so he had a fire started and he started a fire with a ferro rod yeah yeah out of only things in the yard yeah so no paper or anything like that he he legit started a fire with a ferro rod which i would challenge some adults 
to do that. Tell but, me you've edited this footage together, Tom. No, I haven't yet because it was only two <laughs> weekends ago. But um, then it rains, buckets down. Then it stops raining. He restarts the fire with wet kindling and everything, goes and gets in a bark off trees and restarts the fire. Really? There, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and then he decides that his shelter was pretty subpar. So he, he knew there was more rain coming, so he starts really working on his shelter. Then he snuck down. We've got um, chickens, as I think I've mentioned before. He snuck down and took two eggs out of the chicken pen, <laughs> took them up to cook them um, really? on the fire, yeah, uh, which wasn't a great success because he didn't know what he was doing. Mm-hmm. But uh, by that time, the third, no, the second wave rolled in and it was of rain and it just smashed everything and then he couldn't get the fire started here's a funny thing so on any given hike i'll use around about one gopro battery a day and i gave him so he used three in one afternoon yes <laughs> it was just is that right he had the camera the whole time and uh anyway while he was he'd return the camera and then ring this bell and then run back because he didn't want to have any contact with us i'd go out and change the memory card and the battery ring the bell and he'd come back and collect it and keep on filming (laughs) then i'd go in and watch the footage while he's already out there and it was hilarious but the scary thing is craig he's really good um presenter he's he's way better he Way better than me. It's scary. Like almost. Um, I wish I could take credit for some of it, but he's uh, he's a natural. He's just talking about everything he's doing. He's in the he's breaking open this the side of a termite man and like eating termites out of it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no way. Oh, watch this space. That sounds good. Oh man. So look out. There's a new um. There's should, a new survival guy on the horizon. We should get him in here. Tell yeah, yeah, tell us all about it. That'd be hilarious. Nice. He's uh he's extremely um passionate about it, which I like. So yeah, look, there's worse things for kids to be doing. I don't mind if he's out there lighting fires and doing that stuff. Oh man. My girls um caught must have been twenty grasshoppers the other day, uh, out of our garden and brought them in the house and then they, they escaped. <laughs> <laughs> Right before you could get them into the stir fry. Ah, oh, dang. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'd rather I'd rather have your story <laughs> at the moment. Uh, it would have been pretty fun though, wouldn't it? Them trying to recatch them. <laughs> yeah. No, that, I think it was overnight, so we didn't find it. The, the thing was all empty the next day. Oh, great! They're all in the house. <laughs> Hey, uh, you would have noticed if you're an avid listener of the podcast that we left you with an enormous but hilarious cliffhanger um, last in last year's last episode. Uh, we asked you the quiz question, <laughs> and then it wasn't till about half an hour after um, the guests were off, so um, Chase and Oddbjorn yeah, yeah. were on their way, and then I sent them a message and said, guys, I forgot to tell you the answer. <laughs> Yeah, cliffhanger. Uh, the question was, the quiz question was, what is responsible for more deaths than snakes, sharks, and saltwater crocodiles combined in Australia? And uh, uh-huh. I think Chase's guess was cows, which is pretty good. Um, Odebian's guess was bears, which is, um, <laughs> yeah, not that was not a good guess. 
Uh, but Craig actually guessed it off I air, and did. it's the box jellyfish. You're a kanji. Um, You're a kanji. Yeah. Yes. But what did you call me? <laughs> <laughs> There's um, brutal, brutal, dangerous, highly venomous um, jellyfish with, what do they have? Is it 20 foot or 20 minute? No, 20 foot tentacles, up, up to 20 foot tentacles. Right, yeah. Um, that just float, they're transparent, they just float in the water, and um, by the time you get that wrapped around you... You've got mm. problems. Yeah. Anyway, there you go. That was the cliffhanger. It was absolutely, we were laughing our heads off after wondering if we should go back and edit it in or something, but we decided not to. Just let, let it hang. <laughs> so I've got a new question. I was going to say, have you got another Yeah, yeah, one? I've got a quiz question for, okay. for today, and let's see if I can actually remember to give the, the answer. There's no point in me writing it on my notepad, because if you remember correctly last time, I wrote it in massive quiz i wrote quiz across my notepad and at the end half an hour after the episode i looked down and saw the words quiz and went oh no i didn't give the answer so anyway i'm relying on you again craig okay here it is what are green grocers blue moons yellow mondays and whiskey drinkers what are green grocers blue moons Yellow Mondays and Whiskey Drinkers. Do you like that one? You especially like the Whiskey Drinkers part, wouldn't you? <laughs> I'm trying yeah, to... I know exactly what they are. That's me. <laughs> <laughs> do, you have, do you have any? I mean, you're not allowed to say, Craig, but do you have any? No. I have no idea what you're talking about. Never heard of any of those? What are they? Mm. Mm. You, you'll love the answer. You'll love the answer. But you can't find it out yet. Okay. No idea, man. No idea at this stage. Very good. Everyone's racking their brains out there. Uh, some pretty cool news that only came out a few days ago, at least, um, yeah, about three days ago. As far as I'm aware, is three brothers who crossed the Bass Strait on kayaks. Have you heard no. about this? No. Now, if you're not familiar with the Bass Strait as a non-Australian... Uh, if you look at a map of Australia, it has this cute little, um, well, no, heart-shaped island down the bottom right, and that's actually part of Australia. That's a state called Tasmania, and in between those, it was once um, joined to um, Australia, and then I think Rising Waters um, cut it, eventually cut it off. So it has a lot of the fauna and flora that we, we share up here. It's a very, 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 very treacherous uh, stretch of water. I remember when I was young, the Sydney to Hobart uh, yacht race, very famous yacht race, uh, gets um, entrance from all around the world, US and, and, and further afar. And it, do you remember that year that it was absolutely devastating? Yeah, yeah. Ridiculously, 20 meter waves and stuff just smashing. Um, You're talking about the one where like eight yachts. or 20 people died? Eight yeah, people. yeah. Lots, I can't remember. Uh, enough. <laughs> yachts were getting smashed to pieces, masts broken, getting torn to shreds. So this is the same stretch of water that these three brothers, the Lambers brothers, decided to cross. Uh, they were planning on doing some... Uh, overseas travel, but then that was right when COVID hit, they decided that they would plan something within Australia. The It's 
340 kilometers is the stretch of water between its uh, 211 miles. They landed on 11 islands along the way. Most of them, um, well, quite a lot of them were remote and uninhabited. It took them 19 days. And some of the days they were paddling for 10 hours straight. And during those times, as you can imagine, there, there's an, you couldn't rest. You couldn't, um, you know, get the stove out and have a hot drink. It's not like mm. hiking. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, um, you're moving. just floating out there. And some of the problems they would encounter would be strong winds or currents. And so they literally couldn't stop paddling because they would start getting blown backwards again. So um, pretty brutal territory. I, I, I must say, they, they got a quote here, um, our parents didn't like the idea of the trip anyway, but I think they would have hated watching their three sons go off in those waves. It was pretty bad. So I think they're talking about the, the day they left. It was pretty <laughs> treacherous. Uh, yeah, I don't think I'd like to no. watch my three sons attempt that. Um, that stretch of water because it's absolutely unforgiving. Yeah, yeah. Six people died. Sorry, it was in 1998. 1998. Uh, five yachts sank and 55 people were rescued by helicopters. 55, it's incredible. Yeah, yeah absolutely brutal. Got smashed. Yep, got smashed. But the it's quite a, um, a long and detailed uh, story and obviously I'll put that on, on the show notes so you can look it up. It's a great read though. Just the th- there's lots of their photos there. Look at that, crazy. Yeah, that's cool. It's pulled up at this beach. Um, as I said, they they stopped at eleven islands along the way, and on one particular island, I can't remember the name of it. They stopped at one particular island that actually had a little shack on it, like a cabin, and uh, coincidentally, when they arrived to that place, they were. They had to hunker down for um, seven days because oh, that was Royden Island. They had to hunker down for seven days because 40-kilometer headwinds set in for seven days. So um, just coincidentally, they ended up on the island that actually had a little um, cabin nice. and just um, took it easy. They said it was pretty boring after a few days because it, it was only a three-kilometer um, circumference of the island. Really? So, yes, yeah, so they could walk around it in no time at all. Yeah. And uh, they'd be back at the cabin again. Oh, here we are again. <laughs> but yeah, really, really cool story. It's worth reading the whole thing. Uh, just a fantastic feat. Really impressive. Um, yeah, there's so many things they mention. So see that picture there, Craig? Two of the brothers are on a double canoe and one's on a single. All right. Yeah. Incredible. Uh, it, the bravery is way beyond what I have in the water. That's incredible. Yeah, spit step up from our canoe trip with Robbie that time. And it? it's in, in complete still water. Yeah. I will say, though, that, you know, when I um, repeated that trip with my dad. Yeah, oh, yeah. And we got smashed crossing that lake on the way back. I mean, nothing like those guys would have seen, but... Um, oh yeah, actually, I seen footage. Yeah, it's scary. Stuff. Yeah, of course yeah. you did. Yeah, it, it was not cool. <laughs> it's not the same. And that, that was in a, a small lake that was not <laughs> that deep. And I, was, at any point, I could swim fifty meters to the shore. <laughs> God. Uh, something else I've stumbled upon in the news. 
uh, is the, the the headline of this article is called "New VA Program Investigates Outdoor Therapy for Veterans." So this is a U.S.-based article, uh, and VA is Veteran Affairs, so it's a U.S. Veteran Affairs. Uh, if I wanted to wrap up the entire story, basically what they're trying to do is, um, and I mean they're close to, to doing it, is I guess legitimizing uh, through fact-based research that um, veterans spending time in the wilderness uh, is extremely beneficial. So return veterans spending time in the wilderness, extremely beneficial for their mental state. And this one particular guy um, has been taking people out and I guess it's most of the time out of his own pocket paying for these um, expeditions and adventures to get these people uh, you know, into the wilderness, um, skiing or backcountry skiing, all that sort of stuff. And what they're trying to do is get that to a point where in the future that can almost be, in a sense, uh, prescribed as um, and something that they can claim uh, claim back on. You know what I mean? Therapy so, and treatment. Yeah, almost like a treatment. So um, they say it much more eloquently than me, if I can. Yeah, that's right. So um, we're hoping to see it. Uh, it becomes more of a thing so that vets don't feel pressured to take pharmaceuticals, um, one of the guys says. Um, and what then what he says off the back of that is, um, if, the, if the Veteran Affairs Task Force finds promising results while exploring outdoor recreation therapy, costs for petition... Participation? That's a difficult word to say. Costs for participation in programs... Uh, could be covered, so no different for paying for a prescription. So if nice. you yeah go on one of these adventures, mm. uh, to be covered by the by your uh, health, your government health. So that's got to have benefits, eh? Getting out. And... Yeah, it's um, <clears throat> we've spoken about this before. Uh, various articles have popped up over the years of course. that I've um, that I've bought and that but they haven't been about veterans but they've definitely been about mental health and we are um, you know there's a statistic here more than one in ten veterans have a substance abuse problem um, 37 to 50 percent of Iraq and Afghanistan veterans have been diagnosed with the mental disorder mm. uh, often that Unfortunately, that leads to self-medication. So we know the benefits. You know, it's easy for us to to say the benefits of getting in the wilderness, but um, people who don't have the opportunity or the equipment to do it or don't know anybody who can take them out there um, don't really know. But we know from... Remember, there was one of our first guests, um, Tanya Hodgson, the, um, the trail runner, when we uh, interviewed her, you know, mm. she was quite happy to openly talk about substance abuse uh, earlier on in her life mm -hmm. and how her love or discovered passion for trail running in the outdoors um, overtook that because she said, you know, she admits to having an addictive personality, but she just replaced it with a really healthy one. 
Yeah, sure. And uh, that's what you'd like to think that if you were taking these guys out, that they, you know, they, that a percentage of them would say, hey, you know, this is pretty cool. I might start um, hiking or I might start kayaking or canoeing or whatever. Hopefully it sparks something within them and, and um, it shows them that uh, being out in nature has, has a lot of benefits. Anyway, I'm, I'm preaching to the converted here. Yeah, everything we've seen points to success <clears throat> there, I reckon. Yeah, I think that, that's a pretty cool article, something different. Just thought I'd mention it. Now, Tom's Magical Mystery Media Mashup. Yes. Bit of a few different things coming through here. Have you ever seen the YouTube channel Ghost Town Living? Do you, do you even watch much YouTube? Not... Yeah, I do, but not not that. Not what is... that, yeah. Because uh, I, I watch it in place of television. normal television. I actually don't watch normal television uh, for the most part. It's this guy called Brent and his mate in uh, in the US, and they pooled their funds together and they bought an abandoned um, mining town called Cerro Gordo. And he started um, doing these YouTube updates and I think he got it right around... Actually, I think they purchased it on Friday the 13th, 2020. So, yeah, during COVID, I'm pretty sure they bought it. And then that's when he started doing his um, his YouTube channel, and it's just blown up. And he's just this he's just this cool dude who's um, I don't know he's not he's just seems normal like he's not trying to be anything, but he's extremely enthusiastic about the history of the town and the the mining boom and and everything like that. And so he crawls down these mines and finds all this treasure. And when I'm saying treasure, I mean the kind of treasure I like, like old cigarette tins and, and buttons and mm-hmm. bits of machinery and stuff like that. And he's got plans to, um, he lives there full time and he's got, he's by himself. Oh, really? Yeah, oh, yeah. And he just throws, and he's so far away from nearest town and he just throws the drone up and gets fantastic footage and puts these cool little videos together. And he's, uh, his plan is to, I think, rebuild it to a state where people can actually come and stay there in some of the cabins and experience it with him. And I, I guess he would do tours and that sort of thing. Um, but pretty, pretty cool concept. I just, uh, it just is almost like a childhood dream <laughs> to think that you could purchase an entire town. It was an old town. gold mine town. Yeah. Well, no, it wasn't specifically gold. No, no, it wasn't. Just a mining town. Just a mining town, yeah. Yeah, yeah it was right. other precious minerals. And he's not out there, you know, g- gathering. No, he's not trying to um, strike it rich, no. no. He, he's just bought it. It just happens to be a mining town. Sounds interesting. Oh, I reckon it's that'll really be a good watch. His videos go for ages, but they're intriguing, and it's it's just like, um, it kind of feels like you're hanging out with him. Oh, cool. Um Easy to listen to, easy to watch. And, and what uh, strikes you about him is his passion as well. He'll talk about rebuilding a cabin and the guy's not all talk. Like he's out there getting stuck into it, um, 
doing these things. He's, you know, he even says in his earlier videos, I, I don't even know how to do half of this stuff. I've either taught myself or learned it off somebody or. Yeah, good. Yeah, that's yeah. really cool, man. Yeah, good. Yeah, just such a, um, you know, the old sea change and the tree change. Well, I don't know what this one would be called, but uh, he's definitely embraced it. Yeah. And I'm a little bit jealous. <laughs> yeah, I reckon. <laughs> I started Googling abandoned towns in Australia to see if I could afford one. <laughs> uh, oh, this next one's really cool. Uh, our good friend of the podcast, Robin, who happens to be of the male gender, um, is he sent me a, a message the other day on Instagram and said, in the spirit of Green Forest, which was a video that I recommended in a in a media mashup or a couple of episodes back, and I mentioned it again uh, in the last episode, if you remember correctly, um, or to be on fast forwarded most of it. <laughs> oh, that one. Yeah, that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm with you. <laughs> That's funny. Um, so yeah, uh, uh, Robin sent me a link to. Now, I'm going to try and pronounce this YouTube channel name, Nag Nagualero, Nagualero. I'm not sure if it's meant to have that Spanish twang or not. <laughs> but um, anyway, he's a pretty cool dude. And, and he gets out there, and it's a combination of so many things. And um, he has a like a canvas teepee tent, so he, he turns up and... Um, lops down a couple of dead branches and makes a teepee and then puts the canvas underneath it and he has one of those fold-out wood stoves and, you know, he dabbles in a bit of bushcraft, makes a, a few things like a kind of a a little spit to put a whole chicken, by the way. The dude brings a whole chicken out into the wilderness. Perfect. <laughs> like an entire chicken. That, that did strike me as a bit um, unusual, but... He he mowed it down. He must have been hiking pretty hard that day. Yeah, good. Uh, and yeah, and then other meals he makes. Oh, he's cooking these um, kebab style things. So he got made some spikes, and then put all meat and vegetables on it, mm -hmm. and then cooked it. And then when that was kind of done, then he wrapped um, Swiss cheese or might have been cheddar i'm not too i'm not right up on my cheeses he wrapped cheese around it and then wrapped bacon around the cheese and then put that back on again so it's just this foot long uh, <laughs> kebab wrapped in bacon and cheese and uh yeah really i mean the the effort that he's gone to to take these things out there and then he sets himself up uh with um, at the start, he's got the stove. It's a really cool little stove, actually. It's about a, a foot wide and probably half a foot, sorry, a foot long and half a foot wide. It's got little feet and it sits up off the ground and he, he has the lid off and uses it as a little, um, almost like a barbecue, puts wood in it and cooks over the top of it. And it means that he's not um, damaging the forest floor or anything because it's sitting up. I'm sure the heat is probably burning some of the moss, but it's it's definitely less invasive. But then he moves, and I think it's the second or third day he moves, and the weather's really bad and quite cold, and he moves the stove inside and then puts the chimney through the through the um, teepee, and obviously it heats the inside of 
mm. his tent for him. And then he's cooking things like bacon on the, the top lid. So it's he's inside the tent. It's heating inside the tent. And then he's cooking bacon on this metal lid. <laughs> well, it was really cool. I just... Uh, and if if that wasn't enough to blow your mind, there was this like one particular part very early on where he set up his camp, and then he um, has this little mini um, paint set, like oil paints, and this little mini uh, easel, and he takes out a little canvas, and just and you see him behind the canvas and he's painting 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 away and i thought oh that that's a cool thing to do you know take your painting set out yeah and then he brings the camera around the other side and this painting is totally epic it is so unbelievably good it is really cool okay i, I cannot tell you in fact i i can't tell you so much i almost want to quickly just i've got the volume <laughs> off but um I'll let this ad play. You've, you've got to back this up. You feel like you're giving <clears throat> yeah, it too much. Put it Steve. this way, mate. Right now, um, I would put that on my. Um, I put it on my wall all day. So look at him here. He's painting. Can you see that? Yeah. There's his little paint kit. Yeah, he is. Yeah. And look where he's. Um, so he's oh, he's, he's living painting. The dream. Yeah, look he's this. living the dream, right? Look at this. This green, beautiful. So he's sitting there. The 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 little wood fire's going. He's already, look, he's got a lantern there and he's got his paints out and he's painting away. And I thought, this this is nice. This is nice. Right. Haven't seen the guy's artwork. Not completely sure if it's going to be a, um, a hideous thing after he's done. Um, it's really dragging on, but let me check that out. Oh, wow. Yeah, right. I like it. <sighs> <laughs> That's so good. I know. And he's not even finished. He, he goes back and does a bit more. A bit more work to look All at right, it. man. Let's wrap this up. Let's uh, give the quiz, quiz answer and uh, we'll introduce Paul. I want to watch the rest of this. Yeah, well, you, you just want to, yeah, just stop the recording. We'll just sit here and watch. It looks so um, good. How long does it go for? One hour or something. That's great. Yeah, yeah. it's beautiful, eh? Absolutely beautiful. So if you like the slower paced videos, so it doesn't have to be a big massive adventure thing, and absolutely no dialogue, no talking whatsoever, no narration, nothing, just the sounds of nature, and absolutely super talented artist, then you, you really got to check that out. I loved it. Uh, something else that's come across my radar is, remember Survivor Man? Sure, yep. Um, a lot of, oh, wow, like I know a lot of people who hear that name have got mixed opinions and Les Stroud's his real name, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, I also have mixed opinions because I, when we first got into bushcraft and all that sort of stuff, like prior to, we kind of migrated into more traditional hiking later on. But when we were first into things, he was definitely a big influence and I, and I watched all of his stuff, all of his stuff. Just um, later on, something didn't quite sit right with me. I think he wasn't he didn't he start doing a um, like searching for Bigfoot show or something. I know that's when people started to say, "All oh, right, <laughs> okay, really? Yeah, I'm pretty sure he did." Uh, um, I can't remember what happened. Yeah, I'm going to look it up. 
I remember um, he used to use a hammock, right? So we'd kind of drawn some, some, you know, a little bit of a link there that really liked his stuff. But then wasn't he being like stupid with bears and stuff as well? No, I'm not. I'm not aware of any of that. But um, yeah, he most definitely was involved in uh, in. I wouldn't say promoting, but I'd say going with people to to look for Bigfoot. For Bigfoot, really? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So what's um, what's happening now? Ah, uh, well, his son um is now sixteen. In fact, spoiler alert, he actually turns 16 in episode one of a new show he's produced, uh, which is has a very good title. It's Survivor Man and Son. <laughs> <laughs> no prizes there for guessing what it's about. See, I've watched episode one. I think there's another two episodes up there. I don't know how this came to be, whether it, it aired um, in the States or Canada or whatever. Um, but now whatever, however it's aired, he's obviously owns the rights to it and he's put out the episodes for free. And I went into it a, a pretty skeptical, there's idiosyncrasies that kind of grind on me. It's really horrible to say that I, I've been in front and behind the cam, behind the camera before and I, and I'm you know, even doing this podcast. I know there's people that would think. God, I hate the way he does that or whatever. I get it, right? There's people that just rub you up the wrong way. Uh, but I watched it and I and I have to say I enjoyed it. And apart from some weird editing, um, again, how many TV shows have I produced? Exactly zero. So I have no right to speak of somebody else's editing techniques. But it was good. I just say it was good. I, I actually enjoyed it. Um, his his son's a good kid, and they they um they work well together. And I, yeah, you should probably check it out, Craig. Mate, you've just given me some flashbacks. How many years has it been since you dumped all that Stroud stuff onto a, a hard drive for me and said, "Watch this, man"? I oh, think it was. Uh, we'll put it this way: it would have been um, ten years ago. Yeah, it would have been just after my first son was born. So yeah, ten, nine ten, to ten years ten ago. Years. And yeah, it's kind of slipped my, you know, my consciousness for a long time. I can't wait to see that now. I yeah, it's see worth watching. Uh, and uh, two of my boys swung in and, and said, oh, what's this, Dad? And I said, oh, it's a guy I used to watch, but now he's got his <laughs> son with him. And they sat down and watched a bit of it as well. And oh, said, cool. oh, wow, this is cool. Uh, and it is, it is. I cannot take anything away from it. It is well worth watching. Something else well worth watching. Our friend Chase Tucker yeah, uh, of Chase Mountains, who was on the last episode as a guest. Uh, our favorite Australian living in Spain, I would think, mm-hmm. is the only one I know. <clears throat> He's uh, been putting he's been putting out heaps of content over the um, Christmas and New Year break. So jump on um, Chase Mountains on YouTube and check that out. There's heaps of different stuff too, from uh, recipes to fitness, so strengthening your knees, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, he's really been getting stuck into it. Um, so yeah, well done, mate. But what I wanted to talk to you about was he put out a, a video. Um, for his 50,000 
uh, so he's 50k subs special and he responds to youtube comments like his favorite youtube comments off his videos all right and all different videos not not just one in particular and oh he just gets slaughtered like people just absolutely you know these keyboard warriors unbelievable some of the comments this is my favorite this made me laugh my head off um this one guy said i can tell by your hands that you are not a bushman nor are you experienced you my friend are a casual walker (laughs) (laughs) seriously unbelievable oh man it was there was so many there was people just hammering him uh, for all sorts of reasons and i mean and so Chase has delivered this in a video, just so which is which is hilarious because he be. just because uh, there was one guy who is funny, you know. He, Chase is a quiet guy, but he he's got a great sense of humour. The way he it kind of flies under the radar, and um, good boy. He, just, he just mumbles stuff under his breath, and it and uh, it just makes me laugh. But yeah, there's one um, particular uh, look at the thumbnail. <laughs> Just he's pretty much just um taken um he's taken the piss out of himself. It's it's fantastic. Um what was I gonna say? Uh oh yeah, he he just gets mowed down. So oh that's what I was gonna say is um I left a comment for him um this afternoon. Oh he hasn't seen it yet. I said uh, I had a good I had a good laugh at some of these. Anyway, oh that's right. Um yeah, anyway, I'll let you get back to your pansy hands and so you can go and get ready for your next casual walk, <laughs> dot, 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 and across the entire country of Spain. Yeah. Like, if you remember correctly, um, he walked across the whole country, the entire country, and this guy's saying he's a casual walk because he doesn't have um, blisters or something on his hand. So I can't... Um, it's hilarious. P- people don't know what they're talking about, but they're happy to tell you. Uh, <clears throat> that's funny. Anyway, the way that he delivers it, it's, it, it made me laugh. It was quite entertaining. If you want to see um, Chase um, at times lost for words, it's well worth watching. <laughs> yeah, I bet. A <laughs> uh, couple of shout-outs this week. Uh, an individual... Um, emailed me and for reasons well i'll tell you what the reasons are uh he's in the military he can't say where he's from uh and for that reason i don't even want to mention his name or anything um let's just call him john okay um yeah i just don't want to touch on anything there that 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 could be um I don't know what I'm saying. You know what I mean, listeners? <laughs> um, yes, he wrote an email asking for some book recommendations. And so I kind of went through my bookshelf and gave him a whole bunch. Um, I wasn't quite sure what genre he was looking for because I have a a wide array of things that move, I guess, from adventure-type stuff through survival, through... The mechanics of the human body and all that sort of stuff, but also through the more spiritual sort of things. So I gave him a little cross section of that, and he he wrote back and said that um, he thought it'd be good to have a kind of recommended books section on the website. 
And I said, that's a great idea, mate. Like it's, it's feedback like that, that because he was um, trying to look through uh, and find. And I mean, the thing is, I have got book reviews. I wouldn't call them book reviews, book recommendations on there, but they're scattered throughout all the show notes. Oh, I see. Yeah. Yeah. So there's not one location where you can see uh, every book I've, I've recommended. Um, but I thought it was a great idea and I've definitely got it on the list. Um, so yeah, I, um, thanks for writing in John and, and it's, um, it's cool to, you know, he, he's looking for some reading material cause it probably gets lonely out there mm. and yeah, I, I hope it helped, but it was good to hear from, from someone. Um, and yeah, thanks for your service, mate. A guy called Braden hit us up on Instagram. He said he loves the podcast. He just discovered it a few weeks ago. He does a lot of hiking in New Hampshire, and it's so cool to listen to the adventures we have in Australia. And I guess they're always awesome. That is one thing he is right about. Mm. Um, so, yeah, thanks, Braden, for, for touching base with us, mate. Appreciate it. Um, Chris also said that he came across the podcast uh, recently on Spotify. And he's up to episode 17. That was a few weeks ago now, so he should be up to 30 by now, I guess. <laughs> um, but he did say, I think you have 30 episodes. And he said, are you guys going to keep making episodes? Yes, we are. We're here right now, mate. We're doing it. And he says he enjoys listening to them as he's driving to a hike. That's a pretty cool thing to do, listen about outdoor stuff while you're driving to do outdoor stuff makes sense yeah it's pretty good yeah it's pretty good mate um and he said that he closed off by saying it seems we agree on a lot of things and you guys uh in inverted commas get it um cool that's another thing i said was uh yeah, it's it's good. There's, I'm sure there's a lot a lot of like-minded people. I mean, there's there's tons of people that write to us and and touch base with us. So, uh, yeah, we're all in this together, eh? We're all enjoying the outdoors together, and and I think that this, um, what I really liked about when I mentioned that that video from Robin, you know, the one the guy painting the picture in the woods. Yeah, sure. Yep. That's an example of someone now within our uh within our podcast community um giving us recommendations um which is cool because it's coming full circle because i don't know everything i don't know anything um and craig knows less than that so <laughs> it's you know if people can feed back into the loop and then we put that out um john not his real name uh the military guy gave us a, a suggestion for the website to have a recommended book section, that's a great idea. We don't get those ideas unless people feed back into the loop. And I'm sure there's other people listening that go, oh, what a great idea. I'm so glad he suggested that. Doesn't mean it's done yet. I might not do it for months, but it's a cool <laughs> idea, right? <laughs> that might be the truth. Tom. Yeah, that might be it, man. Oh, no. Hey, uh, quiz, answer. Hooray. The quiz answer. You yes. know what I've done is in my notes now, I put the quiz answer after everything so Makes I don't sense. miss it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Here we go. Here Can we you go. just do the question? Yeah, yeah, of course, man. That's how we roll. Because <laughs> I can't roll. remember it. Um, what are green grocers, blue moons, yellow Mondays, and whiskey drinkers? 
Do you want to have a stab at anything, Craig, or you just want to? There's all colours there. Yeah, there. Yeah. There's. Um, I'm gonna have a sip of water. They're all rare, sort of. Blue Moon's like occasional, but whiskey drinkers—that's every day, surely. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know, man. I'm yeah, sure. I, look, I don't think you're gonna get it, to be honest. Okay. Um, they are all varieties of Australian cicada. Or cicadas, depending you, on where you're from. Really? Yeah, yeah. And there's plenty more cool names as well. They're just um they're just four All that right. I picked out. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. And and I didn't realise, to be honest, th- this is what I like about another thing I like about this podcast. Uh or rather the research involved. The quiz was another suggestion, or it was a question that sparked the idea to have it from another listener. But it also gets me um, learning a little along the way because not only did I see those, but I went to this really cool uh, cicada, or I guess like um, a reference page, and it had the most beautiful varieties. I didn't even know that we had more than one in Australia. Is that right? Oh, you should see that. I mean, the colours. Yeah. The colours really... Um, lend themselves to those names just to put it like the blue moons they are bright blue bright uh Dark. like sky blue oh sky yeah blue. yeah beautiful and the yellow mondays they're golden yellow um right. the whiskey drinkers kind of stagger around that's a joke jeez <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> uh, i can't remember what color they were but yeah that's um and obviously the green gross is bright green right eh? Yeah, cool, hey? Cool, man. That was a good one. Yeah, yeah. Thank you very much. Um, That leads us into Paul Barak, our guest. Craig, did you enjoy that chat with him? Absolutely. Yeah, 100%. It it definitely... We we got to dig a lot deeper than I I first um, anticipated. Paul's an author of a book, and we we do talk about that quite a bit in this, um, this next bit coming up and he writes about his um shikoku pilgrimage and we get we get kind of deep into that and uh, there's there's really not much more i can say except i guess let you guys listen to it yourself but i think we got some some really great insights and and stories out of paul and actually had such a good time doing it Mm. and as always with our guests after the the recording stops. We end up talking for <laughs> quite a while after because we we um, we're enjoying it so much. But um, yeah, you can tell it was yeah. a wild adventure we had, and um, it was wild. pretty much life changing for him. And yes, I reckon, yes, I reckon. Um, yeah, we had a good chat with him, eh? Yeah, we absolutely did. Um, jump onto the the show notes afterwards, and there'll be all of his um, you know Instagram and everything, so you can follow him and uh, and links to purchase his book as well which sounds really cool um anything else to add mate no let's do it all right we'll leave you to it guys thanks for joining us for the first podcast of the new year uh we will endeavor to bring you many many more um so yeah let's have an absolute cracker take care guys talk to you next time bye Paul Barak, welcome to the podcast, mate. 
Oh, thank you. I don't know where to start with you, Paul. There's there's a lot to cover, and I don't want to put too many I don't want to put too many labels on you right at the start for the listeners because I, there's a lot of things I want to dig into. But obviously, uh, you completed the Shikoku pilgrimage in Japan, and that's something that uh, inevitably we're going to we're going to hit uh, well pretty hard later on. Uh, mm-hmm. in our conversation but but leading up to that mate I, I just want to get some an idea of of your uh, where your passion for hiking came from how how you got interested in it and and how it's uh, and then how it's grown beyond that sure so um, like I unlike I think a lot of people my love for hiking in the outdoors wasn't instant like I uh, was definitely dragged on a lot of hikes by my parents uh, early <laughs> on. I remember a uh, very specific uh, one where I was just covered in black flies the entire time, and I don't think I stepped <laughs> foot anywhere near a tree for like a year or two after that. Um, so I would honestly say what, my What love, age was that, Paul? Sorry. Oh, God. Some, somewhere around like eight or nine, I think. Okay. That's a good age to get out there. Unfortunate yeah. result, but good age. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I think uh, my biggest, like the, the timeline is uh, I was in um, Spain for three months uh, when I was in college. I was uh, doing a study abroad and but I didn't have a bicycle and uh, my school was on the other side of the town of Granada. So I just ended up walking like, you know, six, eight miles a day just to, you know, and then longer to be around the city. And when I got back to college, I was so used to just walking every day that I started taking these long walks in uh, the school's arboretum. And after that... Um, I don't know. I was kind of into hiking, but not really like I'd go out, but it wasn't, you know, a draw or anything. It was just, you know, something to do if a friend recommended it. Mm -hmm. But then, uh, uh, living in South Korea, I did a little bit more hiking when I was, uh, teaching out there, Oh yeah, but it was really the Shikoku pilgrimage that uh, got me super into it because, you know, suddenly I was hiking, you know, 18 to 20 miles a day for yeah. 42 days. Which is a, a lot of miles and a lot of days. Yeah. <laughs> the uh, What's the terrain like in, um, sorry, did you say Korea? Yeah, I was in South Korea for a year teaching English. Uh, it is mountainous. Is that right? Like, but yeah, that's jungle, um, thick sort of rainforesty uh, stuff, or not really rainforesty. Uh, I would say more like kind of oak forest. Oh wow! Uh, oak and pine. Uh, if you've ever been out to uh, like the Sierras, it, it's kind of that jagged, just you know, heavy forest style of hiking. Right. That leads you up to really some beautiful areas uh, once you get up to the top. Because, you know, most of Korea is a mountainous country, which is why both they've had a lot of trouble, you know, growing enough rice to feed themselves. But they also produce some of the best fruit in the world, I think. Oh, wow. So tropical types of fruit? 
Uh, no, apples. They make oh, wow. amazing apples. <laughs> okay. I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> yeah, like uh, they, you know, those uh, Asian pears, the like those the, tan, not really the crisp na- nashi fruits. pears. Yeah, yeah, those, yeah. Like, like a big round ball, but they're crisp. Oh yeah, yeah. like size of a softball. Juicy. And they just sell them on the street. They were, yeah, yeah they were amazing. Oh that's wow, one of the things I miss the most from South Korea. <laughs> oh, that's one of the best fruits of Asia. Full stop. Those nashi oh, pears. Oh yeah. Sounds Hands good. down. They're epic. <laughs> the, yeah, like they you just, say, the size and the, the water content is so good. Oh, yeah. And they just sell them on blankets on the street. So I'd like be walking to class and just buy lunch for three bucks. And it was just <laughs> one of those <laughs> nashi pears. That's great. Oh, that's interesting. And were you there for three years, did you say? Uh, no, I was just there one year. Oh, one year. That's still a significant amount of time. Did you get invited out to hike or, did, or was that something you just thought, well, I'm already used to walking. I'm going to just start walking further on my days off? Uh, honestly, I was. it was a combination of boredom and also the Korean culture is huge into hiking. Oh, is that right? Like it's just what everyone does. So like wow. I would be – I mean everyone hikes and uh, to you know point out a – stereotype that I think is pretty true. Everyone drinks. And so like I'd go hiking and I'd be starting at the base of a mountain where there was a soju stand. So basically like a tent, uh, like canopy bar and then you'd like buy your soju and then you'd hike up the mountain and there'd be another soju stand at the top. Craig's just it, Googling that because that's the sort of yeah. hiking he'd like to do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's sick of carrying his whiskey everywhere. Perfect. And, <laughs> Honestly, it took me a couple of months before I realized, because I'd see like old, older men, like on the train in hiking gear, like falling over. Uh, and I'd be like, <laughs> oh shit, he's having a stroke or he's like in trouble. He's hiking too eventually, hard. He's gone too yeah. hard, old man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He just pounded too many sojus while he was hiking up a mountain. <laughs> uh, that's funny because we've got a, a lot of, um, of UK uh followers and, and irish as well and um g'day guys if you're listening but they have a pretty strong kind of uh drinking hiking culture as well uh because, really yeah yeah especially um the the english because of the the way that the it's so densely populated there they have a rule uh which we actually we were speaking to a Swedish guest and they've got a similar rule where you have the right to roam freely through other people's property uh, as long as you just respect kind of closing the gates and stuff like that. Uh, in some properties, you're allowed to stay one night. Uh, in others, you need to keep moving through if, if I'm correct. But but um, So by stay one night, do you mean like you just camp you, you out camp on their in, lawn in or their, they yeah, have to I mean, like let we're you talking in about, and cook um, you tea? No, no, no. We're talking – I mean, some people I'm sure would would come down and say g'day and, and invite you in. But uh, for the most part, we're talking about sort of farmland. So, yeah, you could you could um, just, just set up camp down the back of someone's property and it's it's just fair use. Mm. Uh, it's so a fantastic cool. it initiative. Cool. Yeah, yeah. It, it is. It is. And it, and it so what that does is solve the problem of um, no hiking routes because they've been basically taken away um, by you know farmland so yeah you're allowed to pass through people's properties but inevitably what what happens is um you, you know you'll hike for six eight hours or whatever and you'll pop up in a little town and wander straight into the pub for some uh 
hot chips and a beer <laughs> and then oh, off man. you trot so yeah i gotta go hiking and uh i gotta go hiking you gotta do this yeah you, you gotta do that we'll, we'll hook you up with a few people <laughs> the, that the ultimate the ultimate pub crawl isn't it eh? oh, yeah. it is yeah it's a pub crawl where, which you kind of uh, saying it's the healthy version yeah <laughs> but uh yeah no it's quite interesting so yeah to, to hear that and and for me it's interesting to hear that they've got such a big hiking culture in korea because uh you know predominantly from our experience through through the exposure of this podcast and our website and Instagram and everything over the years is um, statistically over 60% of our listeners are from uh, the US uh, and another good chunk from Canada. So it, it kind of tells a story right there of the amount of people that are into it. I wouldn't say that Australia has a huge hiking culture, but the people that are into it um, really kind of live by it. Uh, but, yeah, I, I mean, I, I would put it this way, mate. Uh, I could spend my whole kind of youth not not knowing anybody who was into it. It was something that Craig and I got into later in life and uh, mm. our eyes were opened, Paul. Yeah, that's, that's how I feel about it too. Like I... Uh, just the more that I've hiked, you mentioned that, you know, I've been hiking for a long time. After uh, Shikoku, I came back. I started hiking all around my home state of Washington. Then I moved to Denver. I did the Four Passes Loop out there. I'd done the Wonderland Trail out here. And uh, then, you know, I hiked the whole Pacific Crest Trail. Hmm. And That's, what's the length of that so like 12 uh, 2650 miles 2650 i'm not sure miles. the kilometers yeah that's um wow it's that's a bit uh, of a hike me- yeah mexican border to uh the canadian border really yeah, yeah down down the uh west coast is that correct yep yep yeah. over the uh the spine of the cascades wow over the cascade range four thousand kilometers just for our uh so i was gonna say imperial just for our metric listeners that's amazing how long did that take you um to uh, five and a half months right wow. that's... and life-changing mm, so and this was post shikoku which we will still get into but this was after that wasn't it mm-hmm. so that and kind of planted the seed in some respect you know shikoku planted the seed for a lot afterwards like i learned a lot of lessons about life and mm-hmm. i learned a lot of about hiking yeah, well, you let's know, go like, there, mate. What? How do you go from, you know, a little bit of hiking here and there, and then and then all of a sudden discovering a hike in Japan, which is, I'm assuming, and correct me if I'm wrong, is vastly different from hiking in your home state. Yeah, <laughs> uh, especially when you don't speak Japanese. That's the best way. I don't speak uh, American either, mate. I just, I just wing it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it, it's funny just before we go into it, but every, uh, like I, I bicycled across the United States, uh, in after the Shikoku pilgrimage as well. And, you know, hiking the Pacific crest trail and the Colorado trail. And every time I'm about to go out and do something, everyone's like, isn't it 
isn't that going to be like really hard? Aren't you like worried about it? And in the back of my mind, I'm always like, yeah, but it'll be in English. (laughs) (laughs) It'll never be that hard. (laughs) It'll never be Japanese hard. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, I think Tom's Tom's actually been to Japan and I think- You think I have? I I I know that he has. And the (laughs) Shikoku, is that like one of the best, uh, if you were going to go to Japan, was that picked because it was on a bucket list of yours? Like, did you realize that was the pinnacle of Japanese hiking? Is it the best place to go? Um, It is, I mean, it's one of the big ones, but it's mostly done by retirees. uh, And the retirees are doing it in these uh, two-week bus tours. Oh, no, uh, wow. because, just you know, most people can't just take, you know, one, you know, a month and a half to two months off mm-hmm. to, you know, just wander. So it's this ancient pilgrimage route. I think it's somewhere, you know, it's fuzzy how old it is, but somewhere between 1200 and 1500 years old wow. based on this, uh, very well-known, uh, Buddhist monk and holy man named Kukai. Mm. And, uh, yeah, basically a couple hundred people in nowadays go and walk it, at least when I did in 2010, maybe a dozen Westerners every year. Hmm. But so what got me into it is this weird series of events where basically, uh, I don't know what TV was like in Australia in the nineties, but like in the 80s and 90s growing up, there were ninjas in every cartoon. <laughs> there was and ones so, that looked like turtles. We had those ones. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, they looked like some of them looked like turtles, too. And some of them looked like G.I. Joes. And oh, yeah. It was Snake just, eyes, brother. Yep. Did you exactly. Guys, you guys have monkey magic? No. What was monkey magic? So, monkey magic. I'll tell you something, Craig, that you won't know. It's very interesting. Monkey magic is... A Japanese created um, series uh, based on Chinese mythology. I think I've got that the right way around. In fact, yeah, I, I know I have King. because the because Monkey was um, a famous Japanese actor who later. By the time I got to Japan, he was actually he'd pop up on on TV shows as a guest. Uh, and I'd go, oh my God, that's monkey magic, this monkey. And they'd say, oh wow, you know monkey? I'm like, heck yes, I know monkey. We watched it was, that stuff all. It was all spoken in Japanese, and then there was someone doing the voiceover in yeah, English. Yeah, you know, those right. fantastic voiceovers. And the lips never matched up. It was so cool. <laughs> so, yeah, so, yeah. That's, so, um, yeah. So, like, I, uh, was just kind of obsessed with ninjas when I was younger because, you know, like they can disappear, fly, and behead people. So, like, what else do you want when well, you're Well, that's eight? the three things you want in, yep. in you, your own arsenal and and in a friend, I would suggest. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's the, uh, it's the Swiss Army knife of skills. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I've ticked the big three and I've got a few jokes up my sleeve. What a good mate. <laughs> <laughs> so... Anyway, like that kind of led on to just an interest in uh, meditation and Japanese art and, you know, anime. And 
it all kind of culminated when I was in college and taking this class on Japanese religion and culture. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of like I wasn't majoring in Japan at all. And it was more an idea of, okay, well, I'm sure they'll spend at least a week on ninjas. So this will be an easy B. <laughs> yeah, that's because you, you know everything about ninjas by then. E exactly. You wouldn't, I wouldn't even, even have, have to study. study. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> so were you yeah. saying you took an entire subject on Japanese religion or it was one component of a, it was, of a broader subject? It was one class. One so, class. Okay. Yeah, just that's not a enough class time on... to talk ninjas. <laughs> no, no. I was figuring, you know, it's a, a semester's worth. So one mm. week we'd be like, all right, here's how awesome ninjas are. And I'd be like, yep. dope. I got you. Good. Next week, samurai. Yep. Yep. So on. Yep. Next week, the weird thing about tentacles and where that comes from. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but so we never, I never learned about ninjas. So I didn't do as well in that class as I thought. But uh, there was this one day where the teacher kind of rolled out this, you know, TV with a VHS, which tells your listeners how old I am. And <laughs> Don't worry, we're she, there. Uh, we're there. Yeah, she pushes in the VHS, and it's this documentary Adjusts about the tracking. Adjust the yeah. tracking for a second. <laughs> Adjust the tracking, fast forwards, uh, and. So it was this documentary on Shikoku and I'd never heard of it, but this guy is like, you know, praying at these temples and walking by these, you know, vast rice fields and meditating under waterfalls and wearing this sedge hat and the white vest. Mm -hmm. And as I'm which, watching um, it, which is a uniform, just, isn't it? I mean, it's mm -hmm. the, it's the kind of uh, the clothing you would adopt just for the, the listeners to embark on that pilgrimage, isn't it? Yep. So yep. the to sidebar, the staff is the staff uh, you carry with you at all times, and also represents Kukai, mm -hmm. who is with you at all times oh, on the cool. on the pilgrimage. Yep. So when you go inside of a place to sleep at night, you always have to very respectfully uh, wipe out or wipe off the bottom of the staff uh -huh. and place it, uh, you know, in a corner of respect in the room upright mm -hmm. um you wear a white vest which has a kanji running down the back that says two traveling as one because you and kukai are traveling together and the other um very standard thing is to wear a wide brim hat yep with the uh, kanji for kukai in the front uh because kukai is there to guide you ah oh, cool so you're pretty yeah. identifiable by locals and other pilgrimage mm -hmm. undertakers yeah at well, a glance i think if if i wasn't wearing it it's such a rural island and so few westerners were doing it then they would have just come up and be like what are you doing here what are you <laughs> i thought you were gonna say they would have the police called <laughs> oh maybe man because they i got a lot of double takes and I remember one night I was walking by this house and this kid who was playing in a yard like runs out and starts like mm -hmm. talking to me and pulling at my sleeve and he pulls me into the like his house and then runs inside to get his brother just to point at me and be like, <laughs> look, a Western. They are real. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, um, that's a nice place to be. I spent uh, a year and a half in the in the middle of Tokyo, so it was quite a different experience. But mm -hmm. when I did travel 
on a few short trips uh, into the rural areas, you definitely get the uh, you definitely get attention pretty quickly, especially being six foot two and blonde. Blonde hair. Yeah, well, six foot one, pale and bald. I feel you, man. <laughs> Get lots of, uh, yeah, you learn to duck your head pretty quick, don't you, Paul? Mm-hmm. I got a few uh, injuries from trying to run you... into doorways too quick. Oh, yeah. I think I've probably lost second grade math from the number of times <laughs> I banged my head on a doorway. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, so I was uh, watching this documentary. And just for whatever reason, I just suddenly like saw myself on that screen doing the same pilgrimage. That's and... I find that little that one little sentence there. I find that fascinating, and I'm not I'm not saying I find it fascinating because it's um, uh, something I couldn't imagine. I find it fascinating because it's the sort of daydreaming that I've done in the past uh, about certain certain things like other trails. So for you to be just wrapped up in that moment and think that could be me under that waterfall meditating. I think that's that just was my exact absolutely thought. cool. That is so cool. Yeah, that's awesome. It's it's like a, a, a mini epiphany right there. Yeah. And the thing is, then I like basically forgot about it for eight years. Oh, wow. Um, I was reminded of the of the pilgrimage again when I was in Japan because I was just looking at uh, stuff to do when I went and visited Japan on my, you know, vacation. Oh, wow. So and you went over like, there just purely on a vacation and, and it kind of – you'd forgotten about that film that you watched. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, like you get out of college and I don't know what you guys were like, but I was a fucking mess for age 21 <laughs> till, I mean, who the fuck knows? Yeah. Uh, something like that. <laughs> Craig and I played in a band for quite Been a there. few years together. So yeah, on a similar trajectory. And then I spent many years after that, just surfing and sleeping. So yeah, yeah I'm with yeah. you. Yeah, see, I wasn't even surfing. Uh, <laughs> just doing the sleeping. <laughs> yeah, doing the sleeping and the drinking. Yeah, um, good. So anyway, like, uh, yeah, it was, so I was teaching English in South Korea uh, and, you know, just wiki travel reading through. I was like, oh yeah, the Shikoku pilgrimage. Uh, I remember I, you know, had that weird vision thing uh, back in college and then got back and actually got this really good job uh, working at Microsoft as a office manager. Mm. And I was just sitting at my desk getting more and more depressed about the fact that it was like, you know, okay, so this is what life is going to be, I guess. Yeah, I've had my fun and it's time to lock down and uh, forget mm -hmm. about all that. Yep, just, you know, who needs adventure? I have spreadsheets. And and so then, you know, this one day I was just like, okay, you know what, this cannot be – the end, you know, I, I need, I just need that last fix, man. I just, just what that last cigarette and then I'm totally quitting. Uh, and I was like, well, what can I do? And then the vision came back and I was like, that's it. I will hike the Shikoku pilgrimage. Mm -hmm. And, uh, at no point in the following, I don't know, three to six months of preparation did I ever think that's it. I'll learn to read a map. (laughs) <laughs> or that's it. I'll learn Japanese or check if it's the hottest summer on record or maybe yeah, figure no, out if no, my shoes fit. Are, you do those things. Um, yeah, you do those en route. 
<laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. I love I love that. That's that's commitment, and it's also um, diving into something without. Oh, look, there's there's merit in that. I think uh, I'm sure you'll probably unpack later in hindsight. I think there's merit to jumping into something a little bit unprepared, yeah. uh, but being able to push through personally and and accomplish it. Yeah, yeah I think. Uh... I mean, I would definitely recommend that if any listener is at all interested in hiking the Shikoku pilgrimage, uh, definitely do more preparation than I did. <laughs> uh, and maybe even buy my book on Amazon. Yeah, he'll but, tell you all uh, about it. But uh, yeah, the theory that I always had was, and something I've kept coming back to in my life was just stop telling yourself what you can't do and mm-hmm. just find out mm-hmm. you know hey, hey paul i've got a i've got a ninja friend here that i do a lot of adventures with did <laughs> you have did you have any buddies that you sort of bounce these ideas off did you go hiking with other people or are you pretty much in a solo frame of mind what, what's going on in your head there uh just before i left um i mean honestly you know i think i was yeah i was 28 and so i had you know for a uh, wide friend group. And I was like, I'm going to go do this. And they're like, that's awesome. We're going to keep going to our jobs and building equity (laughs) so that we can eventually own a home. And I was just like, yeah, that sounds also boring, Yeah, but, uh, I'll never get you and you'll never get me. So yeah, there wasn't, there wasn't, I I was always thinking like, I'm going to go do this alone because I'm a good enough friend not to be like, no, you mm. should also quit your job. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but was there ever a time where it was kind of like, oh, man, I wish I had so- – I can't do this on my own. I need someone with me or you were just happy. Constantly. Yeah. <laughs> Constantly. I was just like, I wish there was one more person yep. here yep. to wow. stop me from making all these dumb decisions I keep making. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> did, did you – Paul, did you have any – when you came back – Sorry to jump ahead a little bit, but just on the topic of friends, when you came back, um, was there any difficulty in in kind of rekindling those friendships based on the fact that when you left, they had no interest in your crazy idea and you came back and completing your crazy idea and they're still, you know, buying their second house and, and settling down. Was there any difficulty in rekindling any of those relationships um not really uh i've just you know the the, uh this wasn't the first crazy idea i'd ever had so anyone who'd remained friends with me was like oh yeah paul he does crazy he goes with crazy ideas he disappears and when he gets back we all still drink beer brother (laughs) yeah exactly but the i think the hardest thing that i found coming back from you know, uh, Shikoku, the bike trip, uh, the, especially the PCT, that, that was the hardest one to come back from, mm. is that, you know, the first week or two, everyone's just like, oh, man, what happened? And you're like, this happened. And then, oh, man, and then this happened. And then that, this crazy thing happened. And they're just like, what? That's crazy. But then, like, two to three months later, when you've actually like processed it and been like, Oh, I understand what that meant or Mm -hmm. how that changed me or like why I'm different now. No one's asking you 
any more questions. Everyone's just like, yes. yeah, you, you yeah. went off, you came back, mm. uh, we've moved on. Why are you still want to talk yeah, about it? Yeah, why do you still it? want to talk about a thing? Uh, yeah. Well, because it was four months, three or four months of your life and because it had an impact on you. I, yeah. I think, uh, you know, had you had that conversation with, um, you know, like-minded people, you know, there'd be a different response. But it, it's definitely, I've worked at places where they say the same thing about me it's always oh tom's off doing another he's solo canoeing a river for four days by himself and uh, uh, which is the only way to solo by the way is by yourself yeah. just to of yeah, course just to of clarify course. that uh, pro tip. <laughs> <laughs> we're always about pro tips here but uh and what i found was that i'd take myself so much out of uh the urban world that when i'd return i'd i'd and, and even just for a four or five day trip, I'd be questioning everything um, probably too much, but I, I just couldn't understand. I remember sitting at work one day and and everyone's running around busy and I'm thinking, your problems are not only self-imposed, but they don't matter. Like, nobody cares if that if that document doesn't get to the client in 30 minutes or 60 minutes, nobody cares. It doesn't, nobody dies. If you don't set up your campsite correctly and a, and a storm blows in and you get hypothermia or you drop all your food off the side of a cliff or, or don't bring enough, then you, you could die. Okay. <laughs> or you could get Man, yourself in some serious um, problems. That is exactly one of the things I realized on the PCT which was like, it's what makes hiking and backpacking so important is that you don't deal with bullshit problems. You deal with real problems Yeah, good and point. you got to like care about the real things. Yes. And like, push the yeah. other, push the other shit aside for um, a little bit because, yeah. uh, you know, like you say, there's real things to consider. Where am I staying tonight? And is it safe? Hmm. Yeah. And like also the rewards are so big you know when uh, again like the pacific crest trail which is the next book i'm gonna write after fighting monks and burning mountains fantastic is uh you know i w there was this morning where i was taking down my tent uh you know frozen morning my fingers kept freezing whenever i take my tent down you know because the metal was so cold and mm -hmm. you know my fingers still go numb whenever it's slightly cold i, out. I thought you were gonna say just thinking about it <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but, uh, you know, I, and people, I was telling someone that I was like, yeah, my fingers go numb every morning when I'm taking down my tent. And they're like, why were you, why are you putting yourself through that? That sounds mm. awful. And it's like, because once the tent's down and my fingers warm up, I'm out here still. Yeah. Like, why are you go, why are you sitting in traffic to go to a job you don't like? Mm. You've, you know, you've put for this money. You've put this most eloquently before, Paul, and that is you said something along the lines of hiking to hike versus hiking for fun. And, and I think that's what you, you're starting to touch on there. And, and uh, do you, would you like to unpack that? Do you remember that uh, what I'm referring to? I think so. Yeah, uh, it, I, it was, it was uh, basically uh, you were saying that some people – go out there and they hike because they think that right. hiking might be fun. But yeah, then when they get out there and they realize yeah. it's not fun, there's a problem. 
Yeah, it was about the the PCT and my mm, that's you know, right. theory uh, of it. Of why know, people don't I'm complete there. it, essentially, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, you know, there's differences and it's not universal. But a lot of the people who quit, whether it was the first day, which blew my fucking mind. Or, <laughs> Mate, it happens. It wow. happens. I, I know, but it's like you quit your job to do this yeah. and probably rented out your apartment. You Did you have an inkling that maybe you didn't want to do this? Mm, that's like, from people. But, people tend to let their, that, I mean, the inner voice can be good and both bad. And I think when it paints a fairy tale of, um, you know, watching sunsets, sipping coffee and, uh, uh, meeting pretty girls on the trail like it all of a sudden that comes crashing back when you on the the end of the first day you can't feel your shoulders and you and your ankles are shot yeah and i mean you know that was something on the shikoku pilgrimage that i'll circle back to in a sec but mm. what i said was there's the main difference i found between the people who finished the pacific crest trail and the people who didn't was the people who finished went to hike the Pacific Crest Trail. The people who did not finish were the ones who thought hiking the Pacific Crest Trail sounded fun. Yes. And it's such an enormous difference in mentality. Yeah, I, I loved that. I loved that point you. that you made. And that, and I actually mm. stopped for a second and thought, that is it in a nutshell. That is it. That is the synopsis of the difference between... Um, you know success and failure we we did a uh episode quite some time ago uh where craig and i discussed that the title of the episode was making adversity your friend mm. uh, which which says it all right there and we kind of unpacked that be comfortable with being uncomfortable and then you, you're not going to get those those rude awakenings and i really talked to that when i when i heard you say that yeah. Yeah, the uh it was one of the lessons that I took from the Shikoku pilgrimage which like last has lasted me through my life since was you know and I don't do the I don't do any of these lessons all the time because it's a struggle but don't define the journey while you're still on it. Mm -hmm. Is I think another amazing lesson to keep, you know, because you know, pe people go out on these trails and they have this idea of what it's going to be. They think it's going to be, like you said, drinking coffee, the sun comes up, suddenly you're enlightened and you're like, oh, that's the app I should program or whatever. Mm. And it's not that a lot of the time. A lot of the time it's difficult or it's, you know, uh, um, oh God, I'm lo I lost the word. Uh, not clear mm -hmm. uh, what any day was, you know, yeah. like some, like most days on the PCT were fantastic. Most days on Shikoku pilgrimage were a real struggle with a lot of pain because my shoes didn't fit. So I was every step hurt. That's not a metaphor either, is I, it? Yeah. Right. <laughs> but, uh, it, it's important not to just look at this and be like, well, this sucks and it's not what I wanted. And then just focus in on that because then you'll start spiraling. Then you'll start thinking like, what else could I be doing mm. instead of this? And that is the poison thought on mm. any of these journeys. Yeah. And, I think, and once, the question is, well, well if, if that's not what you wanted, what did you want? Because I don't, I don't think you should be here. 
Right. But also if you can switch your mind and be like, what could this be? Mm -hmm. You know, what is the, what is the lesson that could be out there? And I feel like if you can open yourself to the journey like that, that's where all of the big lessons come from. Yeah. Well, I love and, that approach, mate. It's, it yeah. really resonates with me. And I, I just know, uh, I know because we know our audience so well, I think that, that little segment is going to resonate so well with them as well. And I think you said that before too, Paul, where you say even months after some of your big adventures, that's where it's sort of still settling into working out what these lessons are for you. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, that's something that, you know, I end my book kind of, ambivalently. That's the word I was looking for. Uh, because the truth was, you know, people go on these journeys and they come back and sometimes it takes months or years Mm -hmm. to realize like what it all meant or what it was leading you to. And I feel like people get kind of discouraged at the end because they're like, oh man, I didn't change. And all of the problems I have are still my problems Mm. back in the world. Yep. Uh, and I didn't have that big epiphany that change, that's going to change my life and make the climax of my movie. Mm. And, uh, I feel like the journeys are still so valid and so important to go on and to just be open to the fact that you might not get the answer you want. You might get the answer you need. Yeah, no, that's great. And I, I mean, I've said to Craig and I've said to other people before, um, I sort of give people a they they the question is oh why why do you want to why do you want to you know go on a grueling you know three day hike to get to a a waterfall or something just just to see that waterfall and then you know spend three days hiking back or whatever it might be uh, and I sort of put the question to them and say okay so if there was a a helicopter that was able to drop you into that waterfall or a chairlift that would take you up the top of that mountain, like, would you, would you, um, well, would you jump in it? And they said, oh yeah, of course. And, so, and I kind of think to myself, well, it, you know, you're an idiot <laughs> because, <laughs> because you're missing the point. You're missing the point. Uh, I like to go to places that humans cannot get unless they use their own two legs. And so in that, we all share that experience. If, uh, Anyone else listening has done the PCT, they know exactly what you're talking about, Paul. And they're thinking, yeah, I know what he's talking about. And you don't get to um, start the PCT, jump on the bus, go to the end, get a photo at the end and say, wow, I did it. Because the journey and the hardships are the PCT, not not the, the fun sunsets, you know. Yeah. I mean, and that's, it's also like sometimes the journey, like sometimes it's so important to go through it because once you get to the end, once you get to the end of a day that was really hard, you are changed. Mm -hmm. Like, um, so to kind of, when you said like, you know, wearing my shoes was kind of, that hurt was kind of a metaphor uh, it really was because uh, so Shikoku, the pilgrimage is broken. Shikoku, the island and the pilgrimage is broken into four sections. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's 88 temples around the island. Uh, the first section is Tokushima, which is the land of awakening faith. 
And then the longest and the hardest one is Kochi, the land of ascetic training. Uh, then that follows to Ahime, the land of enlightenment, and Kagawa, the land of nirvana. And once you've circled through all 88, you return to Temple 1 to remind you that the journey is ongoing, always. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, around 750 miles. Mm-hmm. 1,200 kilometers. kilometers. That one I knew. <laughs> well, that, <laughs> yeah, that's... So, that's a. How long did that take you to complete? Uh, forty-two days. Forty-two days. That that seems but, um that seems like a, you were going at a really good clip to do it in forty-two you know, days. The, that's part of that was because my feet hurt every day, and I just wanted to cover distance <laughs> Get it and open like somebody. stop. Yeah. <laughs> oh, but, so as I'm funny. so as I'm walking through uh, the land of ascetic training, my feet are. Like, it's crazy. They look like they're wrapped for Egyptian burial. It's just, (laughs) you know, blisters and blood blisters and just pain and cramping and every step until basically I've beaten my feet into unconsciousness. (laughs) It hurts. You should have wrapped them tighter and and kind of worked on that feet shrinking kind of theory. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that or... Just, I don't know. Well, I, I don't think we had Amazon then too, so I couldn't have sent myself bigger shoes. Yeah. And, you know, small island in Japan, no one's carrying size 12s. Yeah, I bet. Uh, yeah, I struggled with, um, well, correct size clothing of any type uh, when I was living there. Or just yeah. ri- ridiculous fitting um, long pants that are above your ankles stupidly mm. small shoes yeah short. And the slim legs too right <laughs> yeah <laughs> i got that thankfully same i've got slim legs so i, I did okay Oof. on that front but uh but yeah yeah you, you kind of um you can kind of tell the foreigners that have been there for some time because once they've had to go through a cycle of the clothes they bought with them and been a few of those and then go and purchase new stuff in japan uh you all kind of look the same like you've um you're walking around with ill-fitting clothes <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so uh, the whole walk through Kochi, you know, like I'm viewing this and it's beautiful, you know, it's right by the seaside. Mm-hmm. I'm going through these rice fields. You know, there, there's this one day where I stop and I see this field, recently overturned field and the it's dusk and the sky is just glittering with these metallic red dragonflies. And I'm just like in awe of the beauty. And then literally like 10 minutes later, I see the same thing. And I'm like, when the fuck is this road going to end? (laughs) My feet are killing me. Get the hell out of my way, dragonflies. (laughs) Somewhere to be. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Don't distract me from the end, dragonflies. (laughs) And so like it's this balance between seeing this beautiful stuff and just being in pain with every step until finally at the end of it, like just the last temple of ascetic training, I realized like, you know what? Instead of trying to ignore this pain or think about the end when I'm not going to be in pain, I just need to accept it mm. as part of this journey. And like part of my worship and part of the ritual and devotion that I'm giving to this very spiritual journey that I'm trying mm. to commit myself to, even though it's a completely different religion. Yes. Uh, so that's where I'm going to find meaning. Yeah. And in some and ways so, giving it that the respect that it deserves as well. 
Yeah, it was. So every temple you do this, you say a set series of prayers and, you know, you throw in a name slip and some coins and then you say the prayers. And I always felt since, you know, I don't speak Japanese, I didn't, the prayers were just, you know, ritual, but I was, I grew up Jewish, so I'm used to saying a language I don't fully understand. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, and it always felt like it wasn't that much, you know, like yeah. a name slip and, and some recitations and some coins. But knowing that I was giving all of the, you know, just suffering and all of the difficulty, yeah, that was my devotion to the temples. And that kind of brought me to peace with it. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. I, and I think, mate, I hate to say it, but I think maybe if you did have shoes that fit, you might not have had that um, that kind of sense of appreciation or understanding. No, and I think that because Shikoku was so hard, like, you know, third day I'm collapsing from dehydration for mm. six hours. Wow. I think I'm going to die trying to get to this temple. Yeah. But I made the decision, like, look, I yes, I'm falling down every 50 steps. Yep. And yes, I'm actually really scared that I could die or, you know, have to be airlifted out. But I am going to get to this temple. I am going to commit to this until I can't walk. And that day was the hardest thing I've ever gone through. And nothing else has ever really compared. And so, if it weren't for that being so hard, I, you know, maybe I would have turned around at something else. Yeah. And what, where did that grit come from? Where did that willpower come from? Given that you had done, you, you've never done a hike of that uh, kind of length or magnitude and you've done little bits and pieces, but what do you think was the difference between that? Was it that you'd poured so much into this, you'd quit a job, you'd, or was it really just a mental game? It was a it was a lot of everything. I mean, uh, there's just a very basic stubbornness that uh, I was born with. You can ask my parents. Uh, then there <laughs> Get was him on the phone, the, Craig. Right, yeah, right. <laughs> we can check on this. We we'll check this yeah. fact check. Uh, and then there was the um, you know the embarrassment of you know even. To, being like, oh, I might collapse and lose consciousness. I was also like, I'm not just going to go home after three days and have my friends be like, how was Japan? And be like, it was hard, so I left. <laughs> anyway, what's going on? I know I talked about it for six months nonstop, but, you know, like, who needs to be thirsty? Um, and then a part of it was also years of this very hard style of karate called Kyokushin. Okay. Which is so a bare-fisted karate style. Yeah, yeah, I'm f I'm I'm very familiar with Kyokushin. Uh, oh, nice. Did you um, did you where does this fall into the timeline? So you started Kyokushin before the um, Shikoku trail, okay? Yeah, I started. So I started Kyokushin in the fall of 2006. Uh, I continued it through. I also found a dojo when I was in South Korea. Oh, cool. And so by the time I was hiking the Shikoku pilgrimage, I had just earned my black, my brown belt and mm. I was uh, training up for my black belt test. Yep. Yep. Quite the, uh, quite the journey and quite the test too. that one. 
Yeah, uh, Kyokushin was no joke, but we'll train our hearts and bodies for a firm, unshaken spirit. Mm. Mate, that, that explains a lot. I didn't realize where that fitted into the uh, to the timeline, and I thought it might have been post. I thought the uh, Shikoku Trail may have inspired you to start Kyokushin, but now hearing this, I wouldn't have even asked that question. <laughs> I know the answer straight <laughs> up. I know exactly... <laughs> Uh, where you found the grit and the determination. Uh, anybody Did you in... train? Yeah, yeah, that's what I moved to Japan for. Uh, oh, yeah. awesome. I trained in, <laughs> I trained in um, a, little, a little suburb called Waseda in the middle of Tokyo, and um, I was already, I got my, so I, our style in Australia was, um, directly linked to a traditional um, karate style in, in Japan where our master uh, lived and trained. Was it was it Goshiru? No, no, it wasn't. It was uh, Shorinjiru Kenko Karate Do. So okay. we yeah, so there was we had a branch in Australia and all the instructors uh, the two head instructors here lived and trained in Japan also when they were younger. So they brought the style out to to Australia, so uh, by pure chance, we found ourselves in a very traditional martial art, albeit on the other side of the planet. So I was second on prior to going to Japan and stayed there for a year and a half. I came back a couple of times just to get a bit more money and, and uh, do a few things over here, but then I went back again and I got my third done while I was living there. The, Wow. The, the, yeah, for that time. See, I told you I had a ninja friend. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I, I mean, really, I, I get the, yeah, I mean, like I said, I, I know that now I know because anybody who's had any involvement in uh, in karate, and again, Paul, you didn't just stop at uh, Yellow Belt or whatever, you, you, um, you've you pushed through. And uh, and again, there's the, statistically, if you, you see the people that start, uh, karate versus who gets a black belt, it's something ridiculous, like 1%. And then if you take the percentage of people who get a black belt and then see who goes through to second dan, it's even smaller and, and so on and so forth. So uh, to, to get where you got to, mate, uh, makes a lot of sense to me now. Yeah, I mean, the same thing, you know, who wants to hike the Pacific Crest Trail and who thinks it'd be fun? Like that first class in Yokushin, you see the people who are like, we get to fight for real. This is a, <laughs> I've been looking for this challenge for so long. It's unbelievably, uh, it's unbelievably confronting. But in in some respects, Paul, I'm trying to find the word for it. It's um, oh, refreshing. It's ref it is calming, and it's refreshingly real uh you yeah, cannot it, think about the bill that's sitting in your letterbox waiting for you when when someone's punching you in the face yep, you have to be present uh, and you have to be 100 present at the same time you can't be present you you got to have the empty mind so it's a a bit of a conundrum <laughs> it's a beautiful thing man it's a real time real consequence chess game it is yeah that's a great way of putting it yeah and uh, it's like uncomfortable yep 
I was never able to play chess very well because I was always bad at thinking ahead, but also because it was like, oh, shit, you took my rook. Uh, darn. I lost a toy, I guess. Yeah. But Kyokushin, it's like, oh, my ribs are broken. That, <laughs> that's that, that's going to cost me. Yeah, that's that's a few weeks of taking it easy. <laughs> and I think I think, uh, but in those high, you know, those critical with the high risk versus high reward, those critical situations, uh, inevitably, you're going to gain more from it. And that's that's also what what you've kind of reflected through your commitment to the Chicago um, pilgrimage. Is it wasn't fun all the time. But what are you no. there for? What are you trying to gain from it? You, you did the PCT and you weren't, um, it wasn't fun all the time either. But no. uh, but you you kind of, you've trained enough to know that that's not what you're there for. Because anyone knows you, you might go through a spate of, uh, you know, two, three, four lessons, maybe two, three or four weeks where karate's just not working for you something's wrong you're overthinking oh, something something's not the right plateau yeah yeah the yeah. plateau exactly. is so rough to it's get it's brutal through. because you yeah. feel um like you are doing something wrong but in essence you just need to keep taking the, those mm -hmm. next steps because yeah. it will reveal itself it won't reveal itself if you sit there and think about it for four weeks but if you train through it for four weeks you'll probably get there Exactly. And sometimes you need to step away for a day and come back and then you've lost your bad habit. Yeah. But, you know, it's like, uh, you know, like Bruce Lee, when he said the best style to have is no style, yep. you know, everyone thought, oh, you mean I don't need to train. But what that means is you need to train so hard that you eventually the way you fight is the way you speak and the way you think the way you fight is you. Yes. Not Kyokushin, not uh, Gojiru, not Shirinjiru, yes. not Shotokan, but just it's you speaking through Correct. your body. And it's not your outward persona speaking either. Like it's the very real you inside. Mm -hmm. You can't, there's no faking uh, martial arts like it, it it is you is essentially mm -hmm. the core of you that that turns up to the dojo and and it's the core of you that turns up and and says yes to to sharing another person to punch uh it's mm -hmm. it's a very respectful art i think a lot of people don't understand or believe that even Craig. what kind of fighter were you <laughs> like what was what was your uh what was your way of speaking here's the thing with uh karate is and I've said this many times. I used to train with uh, a, a couple of Russian guys uh, Oof, that were training. Yeah, so I'm six foot two. They were slightly taller, around the six three, six four, and I'm a very light, light and wiry frame. And they were very, very solid. And when when you're in the dojo, it doesn't, doesn't matter what weight class you are. You just get thrown together mm -hmm. by your experience level. So uh, I, I've always said that. I don't think Japanese people anticipated who they were giving away these arts to because you, you go and, uh, in a way, karate and judo is built for, um, you know, short Japanese people. But once you start to explore what you can do with a different body shape using the same fundamental practices, you then take that into a different realm that they perhaps didn't even 
didn't even uh, yeah. think of. And man, so that what is it with Russians and Persians? <laughs> oh man, they've got Persians especially. Like I don't know like what they're training them, but those guys have a spinning back kick that like <laughs> breaks the oh, fucking yeah, you have sound to, barrier. You have to do that to get into primary school there. I think that's why they're so good. At. <laughs> but no, they, I, I don't think I've ever been as, as hurt um, as yeah. But and I was quite young. Uh, 18, 19 at the time. Yeah, I don't think I've ever been as physically scared as as um, stepping up to those guys at that age. I literally, one of the reasons that I never, like I always fought heavyweight, which the cutoff, I was like 182. So I'm like two pounds above the cutoff mm-hmm. for middleweight. And one of the reasons I never fought middleweight was there was this Ukrainian dude. <laughs> You fought middleweight and scared the shit out of me. <laughs> so you just sink a few more burgers before weighing just to make exactly. sure you tip the scales. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and heavyweight, like they didn't have super heavyweight. So I was fighting people like 30 pounds heavier than me, but I was like anything but that Russian. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. I once no. saw, like in a padded tournament, I once saw hit like saw him uppercut a dude and through gloves he lifted the guy off the ground. <laughs> and then the guy just like dropped and went fetal. And I was just like, thank God I drank that extra beer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's I got some yeah, there's a few Russian run-ins in in the world titles. They uh Oof. this Australian team had to I was in the Australian A team, basically five people who had to fight five Russians, um, you know, one at a time, obviously, but uh, you fight the person in your weight group. And mm-hmm. I just, we watched him run through pretty much every other country, uh, not with 100% style, with 100% brute force. <laughs> so <Yeah. laughs> uh, when, when we, we stepped up and it was our turn, there was a few nerves, but uh, we, we, um, we took him out, which is good. So we ended up fighting... Wow. Uh, we ended up fighting Japan for the um, for the title, and we came in second because I I won my fight, another guy won his fight, and then three Australians lost very close uh, fights, so we ended up uh, losing three two. Uh, I think the Russians came in third. Take that, Russia. Yeah, yeah, but don't don't come after me though. I'm really scared. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you do not know where I live. Sometimes yeah. on this this podcast, I feel like a bit of an outsider, but I, I definitely <laughs> sorry, feel, Craig, and then sorry, oh, sorry any, any listeners, the, but the, I think the, it's a the pacifist sitting in the corner over here <laughs> who um, starts to understand where all this determination Tom has comes from too. I think you guys are pretty good with your commitment, and you can deal with pain pretty well, both of you. Right? Well, yeah, look, uh, yeah, to, to to bring it back to hiking, I hope to people understand that that um i mean yeah it's very exciting to talk to somebody else uh who has a, the, a yeah. similar mindset so for me it's been a long time since i've been able to voice any of that but but <laughs> but to bring it back to hiking i think yeah everyone needs to understand that that's the point i was kind of making uh with about paul earlier was oh now i get where your resolve came from of course it came from that so uh yeah sorry drag that on but but thanks for the chat on that paul was good reminiscing (laughs) yeah man i haven't been in a dojo in so long extra long now because of covid so yeah of course sorry for everyone who wanted to hear about hiking but uh, (laughs) man i think people on this podcast are used to us (laughs) taking some pretty uh big deviations long walks deviations (laughs) yeah (laughs) All right, let, let, let me wrangle it back into 
Let's and, wrangle uh, it back into the Shikoku pilgrimage. Yeah, and actually uh, studying Kyokushin was how I got into a karate match with a priest on a mountaintop temple. And how far along the journey was this as far as, say, percentage-wise did, you, did uh, you get into this? This was, I think, 30 days in. And just to get your 30 list. Oh, hang on. That's 30 days of, how long did you say it was? 42. 30 or 40. Oh, okay. So you're sort of like three quarters of the way through by this stage. Yeah. And uh, just for your listeners, to give you guys context of what the uh, Shikoku pilgrimage had been up until that point, uh, day one, I got charged by a boar. Day three, I was collapsing <laughs> from dehydration up on that mountain. Uh, two weeks in... I spent a night hiding from guards in a toilet stall all night because I had heat exhaustion. Uh, I broke part of an ancient temple, which then freaked out and ran away, which wasn't so good because I'd uh, cut my leg in the fall and ended up with a three with a leg infection. <laughs> so I was basically like not having any fun. Oh, and my shoes didn't fit the whole time. I can't state that enough. So, and it was the hottest summer on record. So I'm like, assuming the, that uh, when listeners go and check out and and I uh, hopefully purchase your book, uh, "Fighting Monks and Burning Mountains: Misadventures on a Buddhist Pilgrimage," uh, by yours truly, is going to cover a lot of those things in a bit more detail, mm -hmm. especially the boar charge. Uh, the boar charge was like. Like it was defending its babies, yep. and oh, thankfully, I've seen it. I've it, seen it you here know, in Australia. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, we've seen it. It's great. Yeah, boars scare the shit out of me, man. Yeah, me like, too. I mean, there's not that much and cougars. <laughs> the the um, feline kind, I'm assuming. Yeah. <laughs> well, both. Let's <laughs> be honest. Oh, you use that phrase too. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, second podcast in a row. There's a record for you. Actually, that's right. Eh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is. I just, uh, although this one won't air consecutively, uh, I did speak about it last week. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, wow. Yes. Um, yeah, cougars. Yeah, not the sort of thing. Uh, I mean, you've got, did, did you have any experiences with, geez, I'm really jumping around here, but this is so much fun, Paul. Did you have any experiences yeah, with, um, <laughs> good stuff, mate. Uh, with, um, with wildlife, uh, on the PCT? Uh, yeah. I mean, like I know nothing like getting stalked, although yeah, a friend yep, of mine yep. did get stalked for a night, but I do, but like I saw about three bears, uh, deer were the bane of my existence. Cause you know, when you're trying to sleep and you've perhaps, I don't know, woken up in the middle of the night and peed right by your tent, uh, they'll eat that dirt right by your ear. Uh, <laughs> and uh, then there was one cougar that I think there was a bear that was following me one day, but that was the day I hiked 35 miles for my 35th birthday. So I might have hallucinated him <laughs> because I definitely hallucinated that a piece of wood was a saber toothed tiger. And I had to, <laughs> I had to actually go through the mental thought of like, Paul, that's hang on, what piece year are we wood. in again? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's not the place to see, and that's not the saber tooth tigers are extinct. And then the other part of my brain was so like wiped. It was like, what? So you're gonna be the first one to get eaten because <laughs> yeah. you didn't hear about the time yeah, tunnels? Yeah, they've, they've come back, man. Didn't you even <laughs> know? There's a small pocket of saber tooth <laughs> in the middle of the U.S. <laughs> 
That's what but, I always think about things like that. I think it's oh, it's all good for people, all good and well for people to say, oh, oh, that that, that can't ever happen. I say, oh, really? Well, well, you know, there's been stranger things happen. Like, it's all yeah. good and well to tell me that you can't get taken by a saber tooth, but when I'm the first one in like a million years mm-hmm. to get taken, well, you, you'll all be eating your words. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You don't want to be that guy because no, you be know everyone's going to be like, oh, I wouldn't have gotten eaten. Look at this idiot. Yeah, famous he, for the wrong reasons and yeah, you not Google alive. The time tunnels. Yeah, not alive to. Um, <laughs> um, write a book about it. <laughs> but uh, like the call. one cougar encounter that I positively had was we were just chilling out by this stream and a cougar the size of a fucking Bengal tiger wow. just walks across this ridge, looks down at us as if to say, what's up, peasants? <laughs> and then just keeps going and we have to go that exact same route. Oh, wow. Was, uh, could Although, you identify if it was male or female at that point? Or would you have any assumptions? No assumption. I just no, know no it little was kitties the with it, biggest but... thing I'd ever seen. <laughs> uh, although, like, the other wildlife encounters that I've had that are memorable, like bicycling through Yellowstone, I got close enough to a bison because, oh, wow. like... Basically, this woman was like, like this bison was gigantic, like one of the biggest things I've ever seen in my life. And he's far away from all the other bison. And this woman's like, oh, yeah, you could just walk up to it and take a picture. And I'm like, yeah, you must be a zoologist. And so I just walk up (laughs) and this thing turns to me and growls. And I didn't know bison could do that. And it was so big, I got resonance in my chest. <laughs> wow. I was just like, you are right. I am too close. I'm fascinated by bison. They're Man, huge. that and moose. Like bison, I ran into some yeah. moose on the Colorado Trail, and that scared the shit out of me. Wow. Because those I'd things will to. kill you by I accident. Know. I know. I've seen some, well, I was going to say cool footage. <laughs> I've seen cool footage <laughs> of someone getting mowed down by one not not um not injured or killed um thankfully just kind of yeah. pressed into the ground and Oof. oh yeah the other thing uh, i'm fascinated by is um elk just their, yeah. their design like what a unique beast yeah are. just a chandelier of knives mm. on it, uh, both yeah. sides of your and head. the way they sweep back is is quite unique in comparison mm. to uh some of the other i mean completely opposite of a, a moose for example yeah, there's uh, herds of elk um, right up on the Olympic coast that are just, I've seen them like walk through. They're beautiful, man. Mm. Yeah, they're and fascinating. It, I, I love it. I, I wonder, I want to see one. I saw a in rattlesnake person. on your Instagram, Paul. Did you run into many snakes on the trip? Uh, that rattlesnake is actually how I got my uh, Pacific Crest Trail name, Snake Eyes. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was not yeah. your ninja association. No, it was the fact I could not see snakes. I just like All right. I walked by one and someone was just like, dude, and I turned back and it is big. And I'm just like, Jesus. And they're yeah. like, watch out. And I'm like, yeah. So I'm just scanning the ground. So you probably and then I hear heaps, Paul. Right? And then I turn back and then I've just walked by one even bigger. Wow. Nah, it's all good. Just you like, walked by it. You wake it up for the guys behind you. That's a polite yeah, thing right? to do. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I, someone had to make sure it was safe to pass exactly. that rattlesnake. I can you know, do it. I, you I'm can. not going to call myself a hero. I'll let the newspapers do that. <laughs> <laughs> That's their job. <laughs> 
So oh, yeah, they're just like, yeah, good looking snake eyes. And I'm just like, I'll take it. Yeah, I'll take it. It's ninja no related. No one needs to know it's not yeah, related I'll, to the ninja. Yeah. <laughs> Except I might accidentally say it on a podcast to everybody. It's <laughs> uh, good. It's good. Oh, no. It's, yeah. Wow. Okay. I've dragged you back into the US. Uh, t- take us back. Take us back. The, the boar attack. And we were somewhere in the, oh, yeah. the Shikoku so Trail until I dragged you. Yes. Yes. We're on top of yeah. a mountain. Uh, why are we on top of this mountain? So... You know, the uh, so it's 88 temples and they're spread throughout uh, they're spread throughout the countryside. So some of them are on cliff sides overlooking the Pacific or the Seto, which is the inland sea. Some of them are in the middle of rice fields. Some of them are hidden, you know, in deep forests surrounded by cedars. And some of them are up on the tops of mountains. Mm. I mean, not like the top top because, you know, that'd be a little too angled. But super high up. And this yeah, one was, yep. uh, I'm, I believe, Temple 66, which is Upenji, the Temple of Hovering Clouds. And so I get up Good there. Good name. Yeah, very fitting. <laughs> and so I get, I get up there, you know, it's like end of the day. And at this point, I'm practicing karate every night because I'm practicing up for my black belt test. You know how complicated that is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... So I go in and, you know, I say the set series of prayers, which are written phonetically in my book. And the priest, you know, turns to me and a super nice guy. And he's like, oh, you you said the prayers very well. And, you know, his English is limited. But I was just like, oh, thank you. And what I don't say is like, you don't have to lie to me. I know I'm not saying any of this right. (laughs) And for Uh, that, I shall fight you now. Yeah. (laughs) And then his second question is, why are your arms so big? Because <laughs> uh, like at that point, uh, you know, I'd been working, I'd been practicing karate, hiking, you know, 20 miles a day. And for whatever reason, I could not find enough food at any point. So I looked like Bane with cancer. <laughs> and so like, yeah, I'm just, my arms are huge. And also I have no body fat anywhere. And I just go, oh, I do Kyokushin because that's easier than saying, I can't find food. Where are your grocery stores? (laughs) And uh, so he goes, oh, I do Gojiru. And I'm just like, oh, man, that's so cool. Because for your listeners, Gojiru and uh, Kyokushin are kind of sister styles. Uh, The founder of Kyokushin was a black belt in Gojiru. And that's kind of what he based a lot of Kyokushin off of. Right. That and living in a mountain for two years and punching trees and breaking rocks because he was a psycho. <laughs> uh, so anyway, then we get to talking and, you know, he says, OK, well, you know, since you're a walking pilgrim, you can stay for free beneath the temple tonight. And I'm like, super cool. Uh, go down there, you know, lay my lay my gear out, walk back up. And uh, then I the temple's closed and I ask, uh, OK, can I. uh Oh, wait, uh, can I practice Kyokushin in your yard? And he's like, oh, yeah, that's totally fine. And then uh, his wife comes out. And uh, what's funny is his wife comes out of, I guess, the priest quarters carrying their baby. And <laughs> these three German shepherds race out at, like after her and they start running around the temple courtyard and then all jump up and drink out of the sacred pool that we all <laughs> drink out of. <laughs> 
<laughs> and so she walks up and uh, she's just like, oh, you're a walking pilgrim. And I'm like, yeah. She's like, have you walked the whole thing? And I'm like, yes. And she's like, even Burning Mountain, which is where I was uh, collapsing. And I'm like, yeah. And she just goes, oof. <laughs> and so then, you know, we get to talking and he points to me. He's like, Kyokushin, black, uh, brown belt. And she goes, oh, Shotokan, green belts. <laughs> and I, I turned to him and I was like, oh, I thought you said you did Gojuru. And he says, no, now I do Shotokan with my wife. <laughs> because the wife says. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is Shotokan is a no contact style and yeah. Gojuru and Kyokushin are full contact. And uh, so I, you know, he says with my wife and then I look at him and he looks at me and we just have this moment of understanding and I raise my fist and I say kumate, which means fight. <laughs> fight. And he goes kumate. <laughs> so he takes off his uh, monk, his priest robes. I take off my pilgrim gear. We square up and for 15 minutes just have a full on contact karate match. Oh, that's as epic. dusk is falling over this mountaintop temple above the clouds. Oh, everything's worth it right then and there. That's yeah. you could have oh, just yeah. packed up and gone home, and 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 you would have been fine. Like yes. this. yeah, I, I've told my wife like I need to eat. I need to be a very very loving husband and beloved father for her to put that on my tombstone instead of father <laughs> priest on a mountaintop in Japan. <laughs> yeah, well, I know which one I'd prefer though. <laughs> oh, that's tell it. the legend. That's epic. Yeah, tell it. Tell it to whoever will listen. That's cool. I, I, I mean. Uh, there's no, I mean, that, that kind of uh, chain of events, I'd, I'd go as far as to say that even of the dozen people, that foreigners that hike that um, pilgrimage each year, I dare say that not many of them are finding themselves in that situation. And that, that's just so cool. It was super unique, and I honestly think I went deaf for the night from, like, eight-year-old Paul just applauding loudly in my head. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Oh, that's cool, man. What, what an experience, and what a, what a story forever. Hey, uh, Craig um, touched on it earlier, and, and we've, we certainly covered it, but when we were talking earlier about... Um, you completing the pilgrimage, but then not necessarily getting the immediate rewards or or lessons, perhaps that you assumed were going to come from it. Um, so I know we've covered that, but was that disappointing in any way to you? Was did you have have an expectation, and did you think what that's it? Now I just get back on a plane and. And I, I don't, I can't hover on a cloud or anything. Is this, did I come all this way just to have sore feet? Did, did you, were you ever disappointed? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was a little bit of disappointment because I kind of went out there, you know, to, I don't know, get some grand answer, even though literally, uh, Right before I left, I went to, um, there was a Shingon Buddhist temple by where I was living at the time. Shingon is the, uh, Shikoku religion. Mm -hmm. I mean, the religion that Kukai founded and he's okay. the founder of the pilgrimage and the talk to the priest and the priest, you know, gave me a bracelet as I was leaving and said, it is the journey you need. And I'm like, yeah, I really need to have an epiphany. Uh, <laughs> and 
yeah, so I, I came back and I was just suddenly like back at, you know, back doing kind of the same job. And, you know, after a week, everyone's like, so you, you fought a priest on a mountaintop. That's, that's rad, dude. Uh, cool pictures. Uh, you say your shoes didn't fit. Wow. That, that sucks. All right. Anyway, bye. And yeah, so I was just kind of knowing that something had happened and something had changed, but also being back where everything was normal, you know, it mm. wasn't just like, uh, Oh snap, that's what I need to do with my life. It was like, okay, well, well, that was, that was crazy. Yeah. Uh, and so I hope I'll, my feet recover someday. I'm guessing the obvious question here, and probably Tom was about to ask you, is is that why you wrote the book? Is that why you managed to put it down on paper and you could get these experiences, you know, maybe, uh, I don't know, six months on and then however long it took you to complete? Did that, because it, you'd stopped the conversations, the dialogue had stopped with your friends, you had to just... And I suppose we've been working through a bit of journaling and a bit of, you know, reliving some of our experiences actually helps us cement our our experiences as well. So has writing been that for you or is it something else? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the what I found with the writing is it's it's kind of how to put everything into order, you know, like. Not everything from my journals is in the book because, you know, one of the hardest things about writing a book is especially a memoir is figuring out like what's interesting to other people and and what's only interesting to to you. Yeah. Fair call. Fair call. Or, you know, like, and also sometimes looking back on something and finding the meaning in it Mm. rather than looking and just saying, yep, that happened. And then that happened. And then that happened. Yeah. And, you know, because that's an anecdote. That's not a story. Mm. Did so, you find the, the writing process therapeutic? And did yeah. that lead you to to get the, perhaps what you were looking for earlier? You know, it. what I was looking for and what I figured out was I'm not going to be happy at a desk doing what I was supposed to be doing. You know, I was not ready to stop traveling. I was not ready to stop looking deeper into the world for meaning and answers and experiences. Mm. I wasn't I wasn't close to wanting to settle down. And that was kind of Shikoku was just kind of the kick I needed to be like, dude, you're not happy here. You're never going to be happy. You don't want to wake up sighing every day stop doing this. Stop trying to make a job you hate work Yeah, because you're supposed to, you know, and, um, sort of leaving that and write, writing the book was because, well, I always kind of wanted to write a book and also, yeah, what a wild time that I wanted other people to hear about. Yeah. And, you know, to entertain them and also to give them, you know, some lessons that I took away from it. Uh, but uh, I never found writing therapeutic. <laughs> writing a book is so hard. It was harder hard than the pilgrimage. <laughs> <laughs> it was oh, like funny. three years of just constant effort and oh, right. rewrites and rewrites. 
and the pilgrimage was just like 42 days of trying not to die. <laughs> yeah, and you're done. That's it. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, no, that's um, – yeah, mate, kudos to you for for sticking with the book writing process. Uh, whilst I've never done it myself, I've only read and heard horrible things about it. <laughs> it's, it's something uh, the creator of uh, Breaking Bad once said, Vince Gilligan, said uh, – I hate writing. I love having written. Yeah. And that is exactly how I feel about it. Like that fin publishing that book is one of the proudest things I've ever done. It really is just a highlight of my life. Mm. And God, it was sucked every step of the way. <laughs> and, but you want to line up again and do it again for your PCT story. Yep. Yeah. For the exact same reasons. Just, I feel like the Pacific Crest Trail brought me these something. Uh, one of the things I want to get across in the Pacific Crest Trail book is a journey like that. Like it gives you all the answers, mm -hmm. but it's up to you to put them together. Like the Pacific Crest Trail, at least for me, didn't work miracles. But it was a something where I went into it very damaged from just a couple of really traumatic, grief-filled losses and left it whole again in was ways that, that I'm reason? still trying to figure out. But yeah, it was like... Was that, that was your reason for um, embarking on it and, or choosing to do it? Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know how deep we want to get into it, but basically I went through two suicides and the second suicide was just like a year basically after the first. And I had this very, I, like I was living, I, the, after the first suicide, I left for, to live in a new, a new city. Uh, I don't know if your audience, your audience is North American mostly. So I, I left from Seattle to Denver Mm -hmm. uh, Denver's in Colorado. And yeah, I just, you know, I was like kind of, I think in denial of how badly I was hurting and I was just like, okay, you know what? New city, just start over, start a new job, meet new people, keep going, keep going. And then the second suicide, I was just like, I vividly remember it was new year. It was December 5th is when I learned about it. And then New Year's Eve, I was just in this car with a bunch of people, drunk, going to this rave and, you know, just like ready to party, ready to go. And then there was this moment that I'd been thinking about and thinking about of like, do I stay in Denver? Do I stay with this uh, job that might give me actually a career that I want? But... It's, but I have no idea when I'm actually going to face what I've gone through or do I just leave without knowing if that's going to help, but knowing that it's something, you know, it's mm -hmm. something else that's going to challenge me. Yeah. And I just turned to my friend and, uh, said, fuck it, man, I'm doing the PCT. <laughs> and he said, are you sure? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. I think I need some time outside. And then went and danced my face off on drugs. It was great. <laughs> Good. Oh, I'm glad that you you um let us know about the dancing. I didn't want you to cut the story off there. <laughs> uh, mate, were you running away from something 
or were you running towards the PCT? Um, that's something I'm really going to have to figure out. I don't like, um, it was interesting, you know, at the week after I finished the PCT, I went on my first date with the woman who's now my wife, uh, which is the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. Congratulations. Thank you. It's amazing, like beyond words. And, you know, uh, I, I I had this friend over uh, to my apartment, uh, this Israeli friend, and she was looking through the stamp book. Like when you do the Shikoku pilgrimage, you every temple you go to, there's a stamp office where you get this calligraphy of the temple and then these three stamps. And some of them are beautiful. Some of them are rushed. They're all just these very individual <laughs> snapshots of a moment in time. That's cool. Where you were at this temple. It's, yeah, it, it, the book ended up costing $300 because you pay at every temple. But it's oh, this, really? I didn't it, realize yeah, that. Yeah, it's the most beautiful book I have. And it's oh, just it's this a document. Fantastic memory. Yeah. Well, of all of great. these moments in time. And she, you know, picked it out of my bookcase and started flipping through. And she's like, oh man, what's this? And I was like, oh yeah, that's a stamp book. And I started telling the story. And then I just like stopped for a moment. I was like, huh, you know, I never really look back at this. And she said, yeah, it's because you stopped running. And I was like, I don't know if that's true. I think I just caught what I was meant to catch. And so I think that's maybe the answer, but I don't know. I'm really going to have to you know, go over that and really think about it when I write the book. Yeah, I was going to say, I, perhaps writing the, the book is going to um, unveil that answer to you yeah, in, in its own time. But something I did realize when I was on the PCT, because a lot of people go on it after suffering a loss. You know, I, early on, I was sitting at a cafe and... Oh God, it starts with an E or an I and I've totally forgotten. But anyway, a little <laughs> resort town in, uh, in Northern California or Southern California, you know, one of those little ski resort towns, it's yep. uh, pretty early on. And I'm sitting at this table with a guy whose friend killed himself, another guy whose I think wife died. And then this, you know, fireman who's just regaling us with, all of this trauma he witnessed mm -hmm. and a couple of his friends have killed themselves because something about America and maybe the world is suicide is an epidemic that we know that we never talk about and we yep. really should. But, uh, you know, I was <clears throat> thinking about all these people who come out there and I don't think they're running from it, anything. And maybe they're hoping to heal. Maybe they're hoping for a distraction, mm. but I think at the basis, it's just like, look, if I'm going to be sad, I might as well be sad somewhere pretty, you yeah. know, like why would I want to be sad in a city with screens and distractions and just the average, you know, background bullshit of life that everyone is going through mm. when I could also be sad, but look at this desert Vista, you yeah. know, or see this cedar tree in this little grotto. And yeah, that was, I don't know if that's an answer, but that's, that's my thoughts on that. Ah, oh, it's all good, mate. It was a tricky question. I was, I was wondering how you'd tackle that. Well mm -hmm. done. 
um, do you think that uh, on your return from the Shikoku pilgrimage, um, you was it was it after you realised that it was kind of therapeutic in some way that that made you think that the PCT might give you a similar kind of um, well, maybe I don't want to use the word spiritual boost, but but you know what I mean that that kind of growth, um, growth that, or, yeah, yeah that that growth and that just that kind of zone. boost and that disconnect from technology disconnect from the mundane Absolutely. disconnect from uh, suburbia really I mean I think that was some that uh, the knowledge that travel changes you uh, dates all the way back to. Um, my three months studying abroad in Spain, actually, because, you know, I went to, I went to this college that, uh, I hated, you know, I hated being there. It was a small college in Minnesota. I, I always thought it was the wrong place for me to be. And yet funny enough, like I've met people who went to the same college, uh, through Burning Man and a couple other things. And turns out I was just immature that college was great. I should have made more friends, but, uh, you know, like I spent three years just hating it. And then I, you know, senior year was like, Oh shit, I should probably, they're offering this study abroad program. I never have done it. I need to go. And I leave for Spain and I spent three months just wandering on my own, you know, never watching a television mm. and meeting all these cool people and just kind of being out and social and challenged. And mm, I come back cool. and I'm different, like noticeably different. I feel more grounded. I feel not cultured or wiser, but just like I have a different knowledge of the world yeah. than when I left. And it's opened and it opens your ideas of like, oh, well, if I saw that that's different, what else is different? Yeah. You know, what else is out there? And so I kind of always knew that like, if you go off on any like big journey, like backpacking Europe or, you know, even four to seven days canoeing, you'll come back a little different. Yeah. And so for me, you know, the, the long journeys that I've been on is always with the idea of like, you will come back in a lot of ways better or at least different than when you left. Yeah. And where you are now is not where you want to be. And maybe when you come back, you'll have a better idea of where that is. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. That's, it's almost like, uh, from my perspective, the longer the duration, the more opportunity to chip away at the the kind of external um version of yourself the the outward persona that you have to have when you when you're sitting at your desk job for with microsoft and and really discover what is in there and um i'm sure that people that you met on the pct would would have found it hard to believe that you were were doing it we had had even done a, an office job sitting at you know for microsoft so that's that's what I think is so cool about those things is we've met Craig and I have met people on the trail that we a few years ago and we've um, we're still good friends with them still communicate with them um, coincidentally we we live in the same 
city as three of the people we met in another state. So, uh, oh, that's cool, it, yeah, man. it was really cool. And then the other guy flies up uh, every few months to visit them. So they let us know and we all have a good old catch up. But uh, friendships are forged on the trail, as you'd know full well. But they oh, do yeah. they do get the best version of you, in my opinion. And that's I fantastic. So. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, you really just get to be yourself. And I mean, that's, you know, that's the draw of Long Trails. That's the draw of Burning Man. That's the draw of a lot of, you know, experiences where you are removed from your normal context and so you just get to be the version of yourself that you would without, you know, without worrying about who saw it. Yeah. Yep. Now oh, that's cool. Yeah. I have one last topic I want to touch on. You briefly mentioned it earlier, but where does the uh, cycling across the USA fall into that timeline? And second part of the question how the heck did that ever come into being as well? Yeah. Uh, that came into being with the idea that like, I really wanted to see the country cause, uh, like my, I think second to last or last year of college, I saw this movie called Koyana Skatsi. Right. What's uh, that all about? So it's this crazy art film yeah. where this, uh, Benedictine monk named Godfrey Reggio directed uh just montages of like the ocean and clouds and you know desert vistas and mountains and cities and people and it's this uh hopey word meaning life out of balance or life that calls for another way of living and it's a movie about without dialogue and without plot you know, sometimes sped up, sometimes slowed down, but it's just footage of nature and people and how people are out of balance with nature. Like it was directed or the cinematographer was the guy who'd go on to do uh, Baraka and Samsara. Oh, and the that's music, incredible, Paul, because and, when you were talking about that, I was thinking, oh man, that reminds me of Baraka in some small way. Yep. Wow. Yep. That's and the crazy. music is by Philip Glass. Who's... And the soundtrack is amazing. Yeah, right. Okay, so but I'm going to have to check this out. Definitely. I love Koyana Skatsi. I don't but, even know uh, how to begin to spell that, but I'll, I'll Google it. I'll, I'll so, Google Baraka um, and then I'll just work yeah. my way back. <laughs> uh, wow, that's, wow um, I can't so, believe that popped into my head and then you said it was the same director. Yeah, I mean, I, I love those style of uh, movies. I wish they'd make more. Uh, yeah, I found um, that. Baraka, that's how it's pronounced, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, that, I found that incredibly confronting at the time. I watched it quite a long time ago now in that, um, yeah, yeah that I mean, monkey it is dance section. I love the monkey dance section. <laughs> I can't remember that. I just remember the chickens going through that, that chi machine. That was the other thing I was thinking of. Oh, man. It's, the it chickens was, and uh, the kakak monkey chant is hum just quality. Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, That's super interesting. Okay. So this was some so, kind of a, uh, in, inspiration or. Yeah. So I watched that movie and they have all these beautiful images of the Southwest. Yeah. And I was just thinking like, I have not seen most of this country. Like this country is gigantic. It is, 
excluding a lot of the people, beautiful and excluding their politics, just full of wonder. <laughs> and I have not seen it, you know, I haven't really felt it. And so I wanted to, you know, go out and see, see America, but mm. I also didn't like driving and to be honest, still don't. So I was like, well, how could I see the most of the country without having to drive? And he was like, I'll oh, just bicycle. And so the bicycling across the United States was like, that's when I got back and from Shikoku and started working again and decided like, you hate this, just quit. I started saving up to bicycle across the United States. And then when I came back from the bicycle trip, it was like, do the thing that you want to do. You've, you've saved up the money, just, you know, follow your dream, quit telling yourself you can't do it. And so I started writing my book. Yeah. It's, I do, um, would like to give you full credit for you've not only have you, um, explored, uh, well, several foreign countries. Um, and that's what a lot of people tend to, to do, especially in their youth, but I, I give you full credit and the fact that you've come back and decided to explore your own backyard because a lot of people forget that there's there's plenty of wonder in your own backyard. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm lucky to live in Washington State, which I think, probably besides Alaska, which I've never been to, is the most beautiful state out there. Nice. And yeah, oh, like, there's a few listeners getting their hackles up. I bet you right now. <laughs> it sorry, is not. In, it is sorry, not. Everyone in Colorado, <laughs> Colorado is the me. best state. <laughs> <laughs> why, am I, why am I doing that? Either like yeah, a really sorry, bad redneck Wyoming. kind of. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not a debate. It's a proven fact. Washington is the best. Is, is that it? What I'm saying? not sure. I mean, uh, if, if Paul writes it in a book, then it's a fact. It's isn't a fact. It? It's written down. Yeah, I'll get on Wikipedia tonight. Quick, get on there states. now. Yeah. <laughs> Start a poll. Yeah, <laughs> this is going to uh, this is going to bring me to um, a question. I'm not even sure you've you've asked yourself yet, Paul. What's next, mate? Where do you go from now? I know that you're you now have a wife to uh, consider, and obviously her. Um, her wants and needs come into the decision-making process. Uh, perhaps that means that your solo days are over, or at least of that length. Uh, is is that something that you've put any thought into? Well, I mean, it's a twofold thing. You know, I uh, when we were before we were married, one of my you know kind of requisites was like, just so you know, I go off on long hikes. And she was like, okay. And I was like, all right, well, I guess I'll call your bluff. And so I left for a month to hike the Colorado trail. And, uh, How you know, do you she, like that? Yep. She was totally fine with it. She was still out. there when you got back. Hey, she flew out to visit me and that's when I decided to propose. Oh, nice. And, um, since then we got married and have rafted the lower grand canyon oh that's fantastic and once everything clears up our hope is to hike the q route in patagonia in the uh torres del pine oh cool yeah. together obviously yeah that's it that's great she yeah uh she's the um woman with the wonderful smile that pops up on your instagram feed is that mm -hmm. would be correct 
Um, yep, beautiful smile and the best laughs on her. <laughs> awesome. And, uh, you know, obviously a great temperament because she's putting up with you on a yeah. <laughs> daily basis. There's, and, I, and I will touch on it real real quick. The uh, Your Instagram feed is a delight. It's something that people should have popping up uh, in their feed. It, it's spectacular photos, mate. You take some really good shots uh, of of the wilderness, some beautiful stuff in there. And it's Barack Outdoors. Just, you know, maybe you've never listened to a podcast. Our listeners are sick of me saying this, but for each episode, I'll do a podcast show notes page on the website and I'll link to that from iTunes. And sure, and I'll I'll point out Barack is spelled B as in boy A R A C H outdoors. Very good, and uh, yeah, so they'll be able to go to the show notes page at, at any point in time. I'll have links to um, your book, Fighting Monks, Burning Mountains, and available on Amazon, available ebook, on audio Amazon. book, and print. Yes, yeah, so you've already got the voice for that stuff. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you're not tired of this voice, how about eight more hours? <laughs> oh. Well, it's just, yeah, it's just about to start the sales pitch. <laughs> uh, no, it's a it's a beautiful Instagram feed, and I and I do mean that. It's oh, uh, it's you, a man. pleasure. It's a pleasure. Uh, I actually looked at it when we first got in touch, and then. Uh, you know, obviously we've been trying to wrangle this time slot for quite some time, given the, the different countries that we live in. But, um, and thank you for your patience on that. Oh, no problem. But, uh, this has been a blast. Yeah, it's been a, top, a really good time, mate. And mm. so, yeah, this week I've, I've got it back on the screen and I've kind of been flicking through it each day, just preparing myself. Watch this. I'm gonna, I just followed you, mate. How's that for real time? Ooh. Uh, sorry, I hadn't followed you previously, but uh, oh, now that we know you're a good guy, and well, I'm happy to follow you. <laughs> you just wanted to, yeah, I just wanted to test, <laughs> test you out with the the masquerade of a podcast. <laughs> um, no, no, look, it's, it's how, great. It's it, how they get you. <laughs> it's a it's a Instagram feed worth following. Um, I listened to the the uh, intro of the audio book. Uh, because I didn't, I've been extremely busy with work. I didn't have time to to get my head around that um, when we finally decided on on this week. So I haven't had the opportunity to to read it or listen to it. But I did listen to the start, and uh, yeah, you pr- you get into the thick of the business pretty quickly, which is pretty cool. So yeah, uh, everyone get, jump on the show notes, check out all the links. Uh, any other way that uh, you can connect with Paul. I'll definitely drop those those in there after we have a chat with him. But really, mate, this has been such a pleasure. It's been a really good time. Craig's just been sitting back there, sipping on coffee and, I don't know, whiskey or whatever. He kind of <laughs> sneaks it without me oh, looking. Oh, lucky Craig. <laughs> and... Um, <laughs> But I can tell when he's when he's enjoying things by just the, you know his uh, the way he he sits back in his chair. Yeah, and it's been a, it's been so much fun. I really thank you for the amount of time that you've given us today, and and also, mate, the um, the level of honesty and the and the depth at which you were willing to share some of those particular good and and difficult parts of your life, mate. So th- thank you very much. Oh. No problem, man. Thank you for having me on. I'm so glad we got to do this. Yes. Uh, this, I'm not, uh, not trying to butter you guys up in any way. This has been one of my favorite podcasts I've been on. 
Oh, fantastic, mate. In Australia, I don't know if it's a world term, but it's called... Um, I don't want to piss in your pocket, but yeah, that's that's what that's we say. That's definitely an Australian term. Yeah, yeah. Same, <laughs> same meaning. Same, same meaning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. And again, uh, right so back to, at you, Is mate. that to keep my pocket warm? Yeah, no. Well, no, your pocket territory. Your, your pocket. You see, your pocket's going to be free of urine because I'm not buttering you up. So uh, yeah, yeah. No, Paul. It's been a pleasure, mate, listening to your stories, and you've got so many more miles under your feet than I have, and I really uh, can can imagine the experience that you've gained yeah. life experience hiking experience and um, yeah I'm looking forward to checking out your book so thanks for coming on yeah and- hey just I, sorry, sorry Craig I've really cut you off there just on that note Paul maybe um, we can hook something up for the new year and and really focus on um, on on gear and preparation and I mean actually on that kind of what you had to to set yourself up for the PCT, you know, that'd be a great topic. For it's interesting that I've been sitting back. That was actually my only uh, real real topic I wanted to talk to you a bit about. So maybe <laughs> we could. Uh, you yeah. had to listen to a karate oh. story for twenty five minutes and <laughs> didn't even get to talk about yeah, cool no, hiking I, stoves. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> I think you'd um, you'd have you'd have uh, gone through gone through a bit of uh, changes in your gear over the years. So we should definitely oh, yeah. chat about that too. Let's lock I, that in, yeah, Paul. If you're comfortable to, to do. That yeah, that that'd be great. Let's lock that in. Um, we've covered we've covered your uh, yeah, as Craig says, you you kind of um, your growth and your spiritual journey. But yeah, it'd be great to just start some gear talk. Yeah, I reckon. Oh man, yeah, I've got such gear opinions right now. Oh, good. Yeah, save them up. Write them down. Write some notes. Let's get on that next year. <laughs> Will do. <laughs> well, actually, that's funny for me to say that. When I say next year, I'm talking about 2021. Just in case this uh, podcast drops early 2021, I'm not talking about waiting a whole year no. to talk to Paul again. I hate having to clarify that. It's oh, just the way that the it magic, all falls, mate. Magic of podcast. <laughs> yeah, the magic You're of podcast. You're people behind the curtain. Yeah, I am. I no, know. Th- there's a live recording. It. I'm happy to do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is happening real time. Great iTunes. <laughs> it's streaming. Well, whatever day this is. That was crazy when that, that was, happened. Yeah, that, that was the Did day you see the news? <laughs> <laughs> uh, mate, thank you so much again. Uh, take care of yourself. Keep in touch. Keep doing what you're doing. And um, let's talk real soon, mate. You too, guys. Thanks, Uh, buddy. Definitely. All right. All right. See you later, buddy. Thanks, mate. If you're listening to this podcast on iTunes, we'd really appreciate your ratings and comments if you can spare the time. If you'd like to know more about Hike or Die TV and keep track of our adventures around Australia, make sure you drop by hikeordie.com. That's where you'll find all the information you'll need to follow us on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram or Pinterest. As always, we appreciate your support. Thanks for listening.